This is a production of Dirty Mo Media. Hey everybody, it's Dale Jr. back again for another episode of the Dale Jr. Download. We are sleepy. Mm. But don't let us put you to sleep. <laughs> um, co-host Mike Davis, producer Matthew Gilner, uh, Leah not in the studio today. Guest is Ron Hornaday. I'm excited about that. Ron drove for Dad. You'd think I know everything about Ron, but I don't. We're all going to learn a little bit together today. Let's get started. All right, guys. Uh, as I mentioned, I am tired. and uh, I'm telling you what, for somebody tired, you're doing good, though. I mean, you, you, I, I know what I'm like when I'm tired. This, uh, is, this is pretty good. Yeah, we flew home with Brad Keselowski. Thank you, Brad. He had a good run. Didn't sleep much on the plane, maybe 30 minutes. He got a milkshake. We had to stop get gas, and he brought on milkshakes. So it was like, oh, <laughs> there's a lot going on there. Had to eat that, of course. <laughs> then we got to the house and got into bed. And, what time? Uh, I don't know, five o'clock. Five a.m. Yeah. Wow. Actually, we touched down around four, so I probably got in the house around four thirty. But I've been uh, real sore in my neck and my shoulder uh, over the last couple months, and uh, been having a hard time getting comfortable. My right, my left shoulder is so messed up. Uh, after that plane crash, and it's just taking a while for it to stop hurting. Yeah. So, like, laying on it, on, on, I can't lay it on, I can't lay on it, Well, uh, if that makes any sense. No, it makes sense, yeah. Man. And so, uh, anyhow, uh, took me a while to get to sleep, and uh, then Isla gets up, and I'm thinking, well, I got a few minutes to hang out with her before I have to come over here, so um, here we are. I mean, this is we're, we're taping this about four hours after you landed, yeah. after you got home. So you you've slept, got up with Isla, and well, well, and, and I've already seen a text from TJ Majors and a friend chat of ours with some other buddies, and he's he's like, man, there's nothing great about coming home at six o'clock in the morning. He got home a little later, mm. but will he come in today to tape door bumper clear? Yeah. That's a big question. Well, what do you think? I doubt it. Man. Yeah, I, you don't think he will? He'll he be skipped here. out last minute last week, so he last might just minute. go for two in a row. Yeah, he's definitely not showing up. Do you think though, if he skips out, do you think he'll give the actual reason, or will he, he come up with a be BS reason? Say I'm tired. He's going to say he's babysitting. <laughs> babysitting his kid. Yeah, he's going to say something. Well, we'll see. This will be well, interesting. We'll give him a lot of. We'll give him a hard time if he don't make it in. We um. Had such an interesting race. It was fun. Uh, loved calling it and had a fun time. And at the end, boy, did uh, Kyle Bush come through with another <laughs> great Kyle Bush oh. interview. You know, I, I, don't, I didn't articulate that well at the end of the race. Uh, I, I, what, I, what I meant to say was, I said I don't wish any bad luck on anybody. But what I meant to say, I guess, was um, Kyle Bush is a national treasure. Yeah. And even though he finished bad... Uh, I don't know. I, what what was I trying to say? I, I, I wasn't. I I don't. I don't hope that he runs bad. I don't really. I guess what I'm. Tr- what I want to say is like, don't change. Yeah, that. So okay, a friend of mine after the race, we uh, we were. Uh, I was on the plane and Brad had Wi-Fi, so I was taking some texting with some buddies of mine, and one of them was so angry, or just he was just angry. He's. Just, I was like, man, uh, that was entertaining. Kyle, Kyle, that was entertaining with Kyle, and he's on Twitter. On he's still rattling off tweets, and and it was it was entertaining. Yeah, right. And he, my another friend of mine's like, ah, the guy, I don't like him. He he he's I'm mad. He's he got no class. Da da da. And I'm like, wait. So in this moment, he's had a bad. Kyle had a bad run. 
Um, got, he, got, he he ran in the back of the car and and uh, lap car, and he gets out and and says all he says and and puts on puts entertain you know puts on entertaining post race. I was like, for a guy that hates him. Uh, you should be enjoying this. Yeah, right. Because right, right, right. if, if we're calling a spade a spade, I mean, right. Yeah, this this played well for you. Yeah. If you hate Kyle Busch, God, even the Kyle Busch haters don't know when to enjoy. When to- <laughs> right, right. Um, that so it, it puzzles me, but um, I uh, you know, I I don't uh, I you I learned to you know appreciate. We don't have a lot of personality in a sport, right? We, 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 well, that's the wrong thing to say. There's no. some great personalities in a sport. There's a lot of guys, though, that don't quite get, that show their personality, and there's not a lot of, there's not a lot of guys willing to, I guess. That's, well, that's more it. Yeah. I think that there's a lot of personalities, some better than others, but there's very few people who are willing to put themselves out yeah. there with, uh, and, and not care about the repercussions that come. And, and Kyle's one. And, ex- and if you watch, and what we mean by that, if you watch Kyle's interview post race, he's trying to toe the line. He's trying to hang in there. He's trying to keep it on the blacktop. And you know it's, kind of, you know that, yeah, you know right. he's not going to be able to. And that's what we all try to do. And that's that's what all the other drivers try to do. But that interview got a little longer and a little longer. And finally, Kyle's <laughs> just dropped the hammer. <laughs> yep, he's like, I'm, you know what? He's like, you know what? I'm just going to be honest. Yeah. And so he's like, I'm going to say what I feel. And you know that's we need so much more of that. Whether you like Kyle, whether you don't, whether you like any of these guys or don't like them, we got to get that honest uh, opinion. You know, I sent out a tweet earlier in the day about how I had a great time at Cosmopolitan Hotel, and my tweet was a little too vanilla, a little too, a little too perfect. And a little a too advertising. Advertising. Yeah. <laughs> and people were like, man, talk in your real voice. What's this crap? Right. And some people thought Cosmopolitan had made the tweet. Some <laughs> people thought that because Kyle or because Michael Waltrip, coincidentally, no connection at all, puts did, out a very similar tweet. About the same time. <laughs> about the same time. He did. The, the only difference is You know that, what? Kyle, he, I mean, Michael saw my tweet and went, you know what? I have stayed there too. And I, I agree with this. So I'm going to do the same thing. I that saw was, him. I said, same picture, only yeah. Michael Waltrip's a few levels down. Yeah. Like he's, 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 he's not like, as high up in the penthouse. So, <laughs> and it didn't dawn on anyone that maybe he saw my tweet and thought, yeah, I agree with this. I'm going to do the same. I had a great time. So you're saying Cosmopolitan did not put you up to that? No. There you go. And then, uh, you know, so a lot of people are like, ad, come yeah. on, man, quit, yeah. quit putting this bullshit on us. Um, and I'm like, it's not an ad. I really feel this way. I've been staying here a few times. Dale Jarrett actually hooked me up. and um, But we, uh, we, we, we enjoyed staying there. Coincidentally, this year, we had Cosmopolitan on the car, but that's because Zane Smith has a connection with him that he brought. <laughs> yeah, so I can see I'll where do. people could draw yeah, yeah, the dots. <laughs> Anyway, so then I said in a tweet, man, it's the truth. So it was this one guy. He's like, man, it's a freaking ad. I was like, hey, man, I actually like the Cromwell, too. It's a small boutique hotel in Vegas, and there's there's giant hotels everywhere. And it's kind of fun to go some of the small boutique hotels. And the Cromwell is like right in the middle of the strip, but you'd never know it. And it's got a small casino. It's really clean. It's, it's got themed rooms. It's a lot of fun. It's only about four stories. And I like staying there, too, you know, when I'm wanting that kind of experience. But they didn't pay you this weekend, so therefore the Cosmopolitan got your tweet. I'm kidding. <laughs> Shut up, Mike. So, <laughs> but anyways, 
that was sort of similar to Kyle's interview. Okay, started out started out pretty basic, and then he went into honest mode. We need more of it. What would have been disappointing <clears throat> is if he hadn't done it because when he got or, when he when he made that contact. And look, if you're watching that race and he got I taken out been, the way he did. If you didn't think that was coming, if you Hold didn't on, think he got that, taken like, out though, like well, yeah. you know Did what you I mean. Watch the race. His, his race, his race, sort of ended that way. Don't I mean like? Don't you think? I mean, well, he, you, hurt he wasn't going to. What's that? He hurt his car. That's what I'm saying. He yeah. wasn't going to win anymore. You know? I wouldn't have been disappointed if he hadn't have done what he did in his interview. No, I'd have. have been surprised because oh. that's because I expect Kyle to to tell it like it is. That's my point. I wouldn't say he told it like it is. I think he just said his honest opinion, and that's what I want from Kyle. Hey, he gave you guys way more than he gave the rest of the media because he went Marshawn Lynch on him in the in the, in the uh, you know honest, the, that was entertaining too. It, of course it is. Yeah, I can Love hear, it. I can watch, I can see in my mind Kyle doing that, <laughs> and then he went on social media and doubled down. You know, uh, he wasn't backing down. It and whether you like it or not, hey, it was entertaining. I was entertained. I don't look at it anymore as I'm gotten away from deciding whether I like or don't like something. As a as a broadcaster, and you're in, when you're in that position, you look at things whether it's entertaining or not. Yeah, you're you're for you're for you're, I'm all for the show, just show the entertainment value. Yes, and when I would hear that as a driver, that, that I didn't like that. Because I'm like, man, I'm I'm a purist. I'm a racer. Mm-hmm. I want, it's all about the race and the competition. And it ain't, you know, and that that's still important. But it's got to be entertaining. It yeah. better be freaking entertaining. It better be fun to see. And it better be funny or, you know, or captivating, dramatic, whatever. And uh, he added a nice little finishing touch to the day. So thank you, Kyle <laughs> Bush. You're a national treasure, and I don't, you know, even the hate the haters won't admit it. They probably enjoyed it too. I so, loved your face, by the way, when they came back from his soundbite. You know, I was <laughs> si- I was sitting there thinking, how, you know, should I? It was going to be obvious if I tried to hide that. And I don't know what I don't know what the etiquette is as a broadcaster if you're not supposed to have emotions up there. But I didn't see any harm in laughing. I thought it was funny. <laughs> I couldn't. I mean, I just saw it. It was funny. Yeah, I think everybody else. In, so, so instead of seeing Kyle react that way and going, "I hate that guy. He's glassless. That makes me mad." Instead of doing that, laugh, man. It's funny. It's funny when he did the thing at, at uh, in when he wrecked or somewhere at Bristol. He had some something, something took him out of the race, and he did an interview, and he we got that gif where he where he rolls his eyes and bobs his head and walks away because <laughs> he doesn't like the question. Yeah, it's awesome. It's great. No. Yes, and I've told Kyle that. I'm like, man, I know you don't like it in those moments, but, man, is it gold for us Right, <laughs> watching, everybody watching. Um, That's what I'm saying. I wanted, as soon as that contact happened, I wanted, I was pulling for that at the end of the race. I yeah. wanted the Kyle Busch interview to deliver like I know he can, I'm not, and he did. Yeah, I'm not saying like Kyle Busch. If you don't want to like him, don't like him. I'm saying Appreciate don't, him. don't waste your energy getting angry about him him in his in his moments like that. That's 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 to be in that's to be in that's something to well, be enjoyed, I guess. 
And look, it goes that back to the argument. Sense? It does. It makes sense. It goes back to the argument that we want these guys. You know, we said it to Brad Kozlowski. Yeah. Just please don't change being you. Same thing for Bubba Wallace. Like, I, you know, I, I worry about these guys. The people going to beat them down so much that they're just going to have to just going to close up and just say, you know, what, it ain't worth it. And they do, right? Yeah. You know, it, it, I worried about that for you even. Oh yeah. So in what 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 typically I think happens with drivers is. With, when they get fed up with the treatment that they get from either people on social media or 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 whether they perceive it to be the media, mm-hmm. they box themselves in mm-hmm. and and they'll do that for a few months. They'll sort of have a they'll have a chip on their shoulder or turn a cold shoulder to whatever it is they think that's antagonizing them or making their life t- tougher, and they'll cut it out. And they'll do that for a while. Now they come back, they open back up. But um, you you don't want to you don't want to shut you don't want them to shut off. Yeah, you, know? you don't want to make them regret sharing their true feelings or opinions. That's um, true. In that in that situation. Yeah. All right, man. Another thing we got talking about on social media, and this is something I was pretty happy uh, that, that came about. Um, I mean, you know, I'm a huge huge fan of iRacing. All right, they don't. Yeah, yeah and I'm and, and so much so that people would might accuse me of again, just like Cosmopolitan being a paid spokesman, which I'm not. But I just love the service. I want to champion it. I want people to know about it. I want iRacing to succeed. You know why? Because if it's around, I get to enjoy it mm-hmm. too. So its success is good for me. Um, I was uh, I'm bumming plane rides, which I'm lucky to be able to do that for the time being until I decide what I'm going to do for the future. And I called Marcus Smith to ask if I uh, ask him if I could ride with him. Marcus Smith, if you don't know. They own Charlotte Motor Speedway and a bunch of other racetracks. Him, his Vegas, father, Bristol, yep, his yep, father, Bruton, Texas, uh, uh, started the company that. Uh, what's the name of SMI? SMI Speedway Motorsport, whatever. They, they also own North Wilkesboro, and we. I don't know what got us on. Actually, we were talking about iRacing, racing, and I was asking him if he had a simulator, and he said no. And I said you should have one. You should, especially as a track owner, and you know, for example, if you know they built the Roval. He could he could play on the Roval and drive around it and think about things that he did and he liked and didn't like and what he might change and it'd just be a good tool for him if he's owns if he owns a track to have a simulated perfect yeah uh, example of that track or version of that track right in the basement of his own home uh, he could put the damn thing on the roof if he wants to but he would have it at his fingertips at any moment he could show people what he's what he's got what he's, what's going on give a virtual experience. So, I was like, uh, hey, man, we should scan North Wiltsboro. So, you're saying this to him on the plane yeah, right out there. The you guys are sitting there talking about it. And I was like, hey, iRacing should scan North Wiltsboro before it falls down. Mm. And we should immortalize it in the software, in the simulation. And he was like, you know, they've kind of, they've, they've reached out before maybe about doing that. And he hauled around. He And they don't, they, you know, they weren't. They're not as adamant or serious about it as I am, so it's not a it's not a priority of theirs. They've got other things going on in their lives and in in in, in the racing industry to deal with. But I was like, oh man. Um, so I started texting Steve Myers while I'm on the plane, who is uh, vice president or something like that over there at iRacing. Great friend of mine. I've known him a long time. He's worked there for a long time, and he can pull and push. He can pull the triggers and push the buttons. And so I said, hey man, uh, I'm talking to to Marcus Smith about getting uh, North Wilkesboro scanned for the service. And he's like, oh, man, you, 
you'd have to go over there and do a bunch of landscaping. We couldn't scan it without with the weeds on the track. We got to be able to map the surface so perfectly, and any kind of weeds would would make that impossible for us to do. I was like, shoot, if that's the only hurdle, <laughs> I know some people with a weed whacker. I'll do the damn weed eating. <laughs> I can get people to help me. I have that son of a gun ready in twelve hours. You can you can scan it. I go weed it and you scan it the next day. I'm like, that's all that's holding us up from having North Wilkesboro available to uh, thousands and thousands of people that are on this service. And uh, he said, pretty much. And so. I took that nugget for a few days and hung on to it and then started texting Steve again before the race. And I said, hey, man, Marcus Smith says, no problem. We can scan this racetrack. I'm going to go over and get some people to help me do it. And he's like, have you seen the track? Are you sure? And I'm like, how bad can it be? But there's an answer to that. It could be bad. All right. So Steve Myers attained a picture. Somebody had went and visited it just a few weeks Ooh. ago and sent it to me. And I said, that's nothing, man. We can fix that. And so really? I put out a tweet and I said, because this is what I like to do. To get the content that I want on iRacing, I just back Steve into a corner. And I usually <laughs> use Twitter to do that. And I'll yeah. go, hey, man. Hey, everybody. Uh, Steve Myers will come scan uh, North Wilkesboro. He says all we got to do is clean the service up. If Marcus Smith gives me the keys to the gate which i think he will we'll get in there and do it everybody's and there's like you know everybody's like oh sign me up i'll oh, be there yeah, people yeah. that aren't even oh. on the service or don't even they're like i'll come help whatever yep. you need yeah yeah everybody yeah. i mean D- dale goes hey i got this idea he texts me sunday morning i'm like oh no no i know you've your idea already because i got just random people texting me hey dude I got a buddy up there near Wilkesboro. It's got a mower, man. They'll knock that thing out. I got we yeah. got two weed eaters, and I'm like, "What are y'all talking about?" And then they tell me, "Oh, Dale's been tweeting." Yeah, so that's that's in the works, man. And we uh, so we're gonna keep you up to date on that and what the progress is of that. I think the thing that I've got to do, just so everybody kind of knows what the steps are, is we got to schedule a scan date. So basically, we got to set it up to where iRacing knows, okay, we can come in and scan this date, and then I'm gonna look on the calendar for the mo date. Or the weed eating date, <laughs> and it needs to be shortly before the scan date, right? So, yeah. uh, we'll 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 get all that lined up, and and um, we'll get it. We'll get we'll start calling folks and seeing who can come out there and help us. Can and, I can I ask a dumb question? What's though? a dumb question? Okay, look, it, I, explain to me again the scanning part because I know the scanning is oh, so yeah, meticulous. Yeah, yeah. The scanning is so meticulous that every little nook and cranny is is yeah. scanned. So if you're just weeding a track, there's still the track surface is still going to have cracks and, yeah. and craziness in it. So how does the scanning over it uh, won't compensate, compensate for that? It won't. Oh, it won't. You're going to have those cracks and you have those imperfections in there. Okay. That's, and you, what, that's, that, that's the way it is. I got you. You're going to basically get the track as it is today. Um, it won't be a it won't it won't be an I it won't be a theory of its former self. It'll be what it is today, but it won't have weeds on the surface. I got you. Okay. Okay. And maybe we, maybe we could get them to make sure the faded paint and stuff stays on there because oh. that looks so cool right yeah. now. I think what they're going to do, what they'll do is they'll come in and they'll use they use this scanner and it basically takes an image, a physical image, um, in in a in a in a circular sort of cloud, right? So it it. it it, it it's about I don't even know how big the diameter of the image that it takes, but it it takes a 3D image of everything around it within a certain diameter of 20 or 40 feet, and you keep moving this camera around the racetrack, and it takes these big 
bubble shots of what it sees and you connect that together in the software and it draws the track i mean there it is there's the tr there it'll it'll build the track itself then they take a ton of aerial shots and photos drone shots camera shots of all of the structures so that they can put them in the proper places that they need to be and know know what color of paint they are and what the graphics might be on a sign and so forth so they they can art you know really you know, dial in the track to what it looks like. Now, I don't. You know, it's too early in the run to decide whether we go with the, with with what it looks like now, sort of the lost speedway look or the ghost track look. I would actually prefer to paint it much like really? it looked the last race it ran, which is easy to find a lot of photos of that to see yeah. exactly what the signage looked like. Yeah, I think so. I mean, you want to when you when you if you're in a sim race, you want the track to look like it's you know. It's active. Like that last race they ran, though, with the late models and it the modified like stuff. Crap. It It was so cool to see, like, late models going through the turn two, three wide, and you got, like, this old, faded Holly Farms chicken and, and, and yeah. Winston Racing Series. It was awesome. Okay, okay. For, for, one, for, for a, a show or two, that's cool, but I, I would assume even if the track were successful, they wouldn't leave it that way. Um, they, would, they would eventually want to paint it up and clean it up. So I think in the sim... For it to live forever, you would probably dial her up, dial her right in like it was in 1995 or something like that. Anyhow, that's all to be decided later once we they, they get to. I actually told him I said you might you don't even have to build the track. You know, you could just get the data. You have the data if you ever did want to build it. You could build it. You don't have to fire away and build the track right away. But they just need to come scan it before it before, gets too far gone. Before it gets too dilapidated. <clears throat> yeah. yeah, and yeah. Well, so, there you go. Good, good for you. Yeah, I mean, if you're an iRacing fan, it's pretty cool. Matthew, you have your camera uh, uh, ready. We, we may have to be. I don't know if I could camera off. and weed eat at the same time, oh, but I man. might try it. Yeah, I you mean, don't have to weed eat. I would I'd love to go. To. We need someone to capture the content. Listen, there, there's a lot of us that have never even been inside those gates, and man, I, I, that would be an incredible experience just to go inside. Here's Wilkesboro. just a handful of names in the industry that chimed in that potentially could or would. Or Come help us out. Rodney Childers, Chris Busher, Parker Klingerman, Eric Jones. I think he said he might bring a flamethrower. Ty Majeski, <laughs> Christopher <laughs> Bell, Ray Evernham, Steve Latart, John Hunter, Nimichek, Doug Hubert, Tab Boyd, Landon Castle, Noah Gregson, Matt Weaver, who is a journalist. Marcus Smith said he was even going to come out there. And I imagine Regan Smith yeah. would come out there as well. But that's just a few people that I've made note of that would want to. Uh, I'd probably text and let know. This would be fun. Yeah, Frank, Frank Mathalia, uh, uh, who's a longtime RCR crew member, now owns a, a mower company down Horry County in South Carolina, said he'd bring a, a bunch of equipment. Yes, <laughs> bunch of equipment. Well, whatever it takes. I think it's basically we don't have to um, we don't have to clear anything outside the walls. There's shrubs. Almost what you call small trees growing up in between the grandstands and the actual racetrack. I mean, there's it's right there. That stuff's okay. It can be removed in post when they're building the track if they ever build it in the sim. What we do, what we need to do, and all we need to do is to clean the surface, get the weeds off the surface of the track, off pit road, out of the cracks in between the track and the wall, and all that, so that they can just get the surface and understand exactly where all the you know what what elevation changes there are bumps in the air because the, this 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 software and what's great about iRacing, racing and this is the only uh simulation that has this is the tracks are scanned uh to like 
the thousandth of an inch. It's the 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 bumps, everything about the transitions of all these tracks that they build in iRacing are perfect. Yeah, just like the real thing. There is no other software that does that and has that ability or even puts that much work into it. To build a track for them is over a hundred thousand dollars. One single track. Oh, yeah. wow. That's how much it costs? Yes. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so no wonder Steve Myers might have had a little hesitation <laughs> in, well, in, in not succumb yeah. to the Twitter peer pressure. You know, you have to you have to purchase those that content individually. So if it becomes okay. available on the serv- ser- service, they would sell it to you at a, at a small fee individually. So, I mean, they, may, okay. they, 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 they have to find a way to recoup that cost. But to build that perfect sim, it takes a lot of money. And um, they don't spare any expense, man. I mean, they, they are. It's first class. It's the best damn simulation out there. That's awesome. I, I mean, I told you, I champion. Anyways, that's why I'm getting a rig, man. My rig is going to be delivered here soon. I've had to delay it because of some things I've got going on, and I can't get it right in my calendar. So when you say rig, a rig is basically a you set in it. And it's like, it's for sim racing, strictly pretty much for sim racing. And it's uh, triple monitors. You kind of got a racing seat. You got a shifter steering wheel and all that. And it and it's 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 a rig made for sim racing. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty high, pretty high quality. Uh, we talked about it in the last program. SimWorks is yep. the guys I went with. There's a lot of people out there building a lot of great sims. Chad Wheeler, dirt racer out in the Midwest. Builds great sims. You can find him on Twitter, Chad Wheeler. And uh, that Chad Wheeler, who builds sims, he built he built one for uh, Kyle Larson. He's actually going to build two that we're going to use in the foundation uh, this year at the event, Driven to Give. Right we're going to have those for live auction, two simulations from Chad. So That'd pretty be- awesome. Excited to have that out here. So... Um, uh, if you were watching the pre-race, got to uh, go down on the driver intro stage and interview Marshawn Lynch, Beast Mode, came That's to the cool. racetrack. I know. So I was a little nervous, right, because you've seen his interviews. Oh. Uh, sometimes he's not so uh, too thrilled to be, <laughs> be doing, interviewed <laughs> doing interviews. Um, so I was a little bit nervous because, uh, you know, I, I don't know if I've ever really seen him outside of the football bubble and, and outside of the work element or the work environment. Man, was he awesome! So I walk, I walk over there. He, I, I saw him come walking up, and I was over at the intro stage before any of the drivers had gotten there. And I called in to the producer, and I said, "Marshawn's here. The camera's here. I'm here. You want to shoot this? We can tape it now." It's just a few more. It was only a few minutes before we were going to shoot it live. And they're like, "Yeah, we can tape it. Let's do it." So I walked over there, and I, uh, he, I introduced myself. I said, "Hey, I'm Dale Jr. I'm." Uh, and he goes, oh, my God, man, that's awesome. That's awesome. You're awesome. <laughs> I was like, dang, that's cool. Okay. He's excited. I said, well, um, I'm going to interview you in a minute. Is that all right? And he goes, yeah. Right, yeah. And he stood up. I'm like, well, hold on. I got uh, It's going to be a few seconds, man. If you want to sit back down, I'll, I'll, I'll let you know when this is going to fire off. And I thanked him for, for being there. Um, I always like to do that. I think that, you know, anytime anybody takes time out of their schedule – to come help us and promote our sport. I mean, having Marsh on there promotes our sport, introduces our sport to his fans. Uh, we we love that crossover, uh, whether you know whether it be actors, singers, whatever it is. Um, so that's why we bring those people in is to sort of you know showcase our sport to a new audience. 
And so I thanked him for being there and, and providing his time. But he had had chosen to be in at the racetrack uh, and driving the pace car uh, out in front of the field because it was a bucket list item for him. Apparently he's a motorsports fan and, and uh, knows a, quite a bit about NASCAR and, and rec- knows, knows a handful of the drivers. And uh, this was something that – so the story that I got was the track called the Raiders – to see if one of the players would be available or who might be available to, to drive the pace car. And they said, well, you know, he's not a current player, but Marshawn Lynch has told us in the past that he wanted to be at a NASCAR race mm. at some point. And so they reached out, and in 24 hours, Marshawn said, yeah. Mm. So, I mean, it was like no trouble at all, and he was all about it. So it was hot. I felt bad for anybody that was there, especially Marshawn. Uh, but he didn't seem to mind. Man had some long sleeves on. I was gonna say he didn't help but, uh, himself in the situation. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think that a lot of people were wearing sleeves. A lot of the spotters had sleeves to keep because the sun was gonna be so bad. So uh, I mean, if I was gonna be outside all day, I would have probably had sleeves on too. But because um, the sun would blister you out there in no time. Yeah. But you know, it was just awesome that he he was so uh, accommodating. He was great to me. We had a lot of fun in our interview. He said uh, before the interview, he's like, man, I named myself after you. I was like, what are you talking about? And he's like, I named myself Dale Shine Earnhardt. What? what? Or Dale. What, I, I heard that. I, I didn't understand he, it. Yeah. <laughs> Dale Shinehart Jr. is what he said, I think. And I was like, save that for the interview. And he goes, no, 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 no. That's just between me and you. That's personal, man. I don't want to talk about it. And I was like, all right, don't talk about it. And then so he ended up pulling it out there at the end of the interview because he got comfortable, I guess. Oh, look that, at that. Yeah. that! That's a that's a nod for you then. So he named himself. Yeah, explain what does this that. mean? He just said, you know, if I'm behind the wheel, I want to be known as Dale Shinehart Jr. <laughs> and I was like, sounds great. Yeah, you know, I guess that's his moniker, nickname, or whatever. If he's if he's a driving that's high funny. racing, he's Dale right. Shinehart yeah. Jr. So <laughs> that's cool. <laughs> yeah, I, I, dude, he's he was uh, ex- he was genuinely a uh, great guy and, and genuinely happy to be there and 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 good with his time so when i saw you interviewed marshawn i i instantly went into the anxiety that you would have had and that's yeah. like eventually when you do these enough you you're going to come across somebody that's going to be short yeah. i don't think anybody will be a jerk to you i know i think they'll just be like be obvious that they're well, ready to do something I don't, else i don't i don't assume that they I don't say know. they say don't meet meet your heroes so i'm always right. apprehensive about right. meeting some of the celebrities that we get the opportunity to meet this past week before we went to uh why, before we went to the race Thursday, I went to a concert Wednesday night. Oh, that's right. Angels and Airwaves. All right. Um one of my favorite bands in my top three for sure. Um and so we're we're rocking out, me and my wife, some other friends. I'm gonna watch the show and leave. And uh show's over i'm like all right y'all great let's go i gotta get up in the morning and fly out let's let's head on back amy's like no you're going back there to meet the lead singer tom DeLong. he's the lead singer and i'm like ah no let's not do that i don't he don't he ain't got time for me let's go we we gotta hustle out early morning nope we ain't leaving you're going back there amy's grabbing people staff members and that work the venue and and she's like i want to can you can you can we meet? Can we see the, the uh, tour manager? You can see the tour manager, 
And here comes a tour manager, and Amy's like, you know, we Dale's big fan. Tom sent some stuff over to the house in the past couple of years, some autographed stuff, and um, a lot of shirts and stuff and albums. They're, the guy's like, oh yeah, come on back. So we walk back there, and I there's no there there. I thought there would be fans and like some stuff, some you know, some meet and greets or whatever still to do before they would check out. Nobody back there, just mm. the band and. uh the roadies loading out and he comes walking out of the studio and i was like hey he's like hey and i was like man this is awesome great show and amy goes right into so tell me about them aliens because tom delong (laughs) is um he started this company called to the stars and he is into uncovering a lot of what the what the government and military know about ufos um that's his passion it really is the music is sort of the only the music is basically just a part of his whole thing. He wants to write books, which he has. He's wrote he's wrote books and he wants to make movies and all kinds of stuff about uh the unknown and UFOs mm-hmm. and and what the government is hiding and so forth and classified information which becomes available. And he's meeting with all, I could go on and on. I know too much about this, but he, I mean, he went to DC the next day to meet with some government officials and so forth. He's legit. And he's got government officials from the past uh, that have worked with the Pentagon and so forth working in his company now. So, I mean, the guy's really into it. <laughs> but Amy dove right into that. And he was more than happy to tell us his views and opinions on it. And so we ended up sitting there talking for 15 minutes with Tom DeLong about. UFOs, <laughs> and then we went home. Man, it was awesome. You know what I'm saying. Uh, so the, I guess what I, I guess how to wrap that back around to Marshawn and all that is met two cool, famous people, and both of them were cool. Yeah, right. Yeah, and it's encourage. It's encouraging, I guess. So when they say don't meet your heroes, maybe don't listen. Maybe go meet your heroes. Meet them straight. Right on. Right on. Good yeah. for Amy too, by the way. I, I love that. We have a new partner, Mike. All right. Love those. We uh, try to keep you all on your toes and keep our podcast fresh with ads. Keep them super entertaining. Our podcast is designed to not put you to sleep, right? Mm, that's, that's, that's the goal. <laughs> the product in this ad will take care of all that for you. Sleep is important. I, I would say it is. Yeah. You feel it right now? Um, I'm real tired, man. Yeah, yeah. I... Um, I I did not get no sleep last night. That's right. Is that even? I, I did That's not. That's a double get negative. No, that means yeah. you got sleep. <laughs> I didn't get any sleep. I got thirty minutes on the plane and two hours at the house. But here's a fact for you: Did you know that more than eighteen hundred NFL players are now sleeping on a sleep number bed? Mm. Eighteen hundred NFL players. You know there are that many NFL players. I'm telling you all this because it illustrates why you should sleep on a sleep number bed yourself. Get some great rest. Here are a few reasons why it's the smartest choice for better sleep and the best bed for couples. Damn. Oh, I didn't see that one coming. Kinky. Best bed for couples. <laughs> sleep number beds allow you to adjust on each side to your ideal firmness, comfort, and support. So, you know, each side's different. That's right. If you want it to be different. The Sleep Number 360 Smart Bed senses your movements and automatically adjusts to keep you sleeping comfortably through the night. That's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> How does it know that? I don't know. Let's see. Let's see. Maybe on the, the next What if you break. could try to trick it? <laughs> Which would keep you up all night trying to trick it, right? 
<laughs> with Sleep IQ technology inside the bed itself. It tracks how you're sleeping so you can know every morning how well you slept. So you get like a data sh- printout. Wow. This is like a practice in racing. You get information, printouts, and data, and pie. You know. Yeah. Higher pressures. Yeah. <laughs> Good your guy's going to hand you a sheet you when you wake up. In the morning, you're going to get your tire tips and your tire pressures, and you're going to make some adjustments to that camber and caster. But it helps you gain insights for your best sleep. It can make adjustments. Experience the smart, effortless comfort of the Sleep Number 360 Smart Bed. Find your competitive edge with proven quality sleep. From $9.99. Sleep Number is the official sleep and wellness partner of the NFL. You'll only find Sleep Number at one of their 575 Sleep Number stores nationwide. Find the one nearest at sleepnumber.com slash cadence. That's C-A-D-E-N-C-E. Sleepnumber.com slash cadence. I'm intrigued. I actually... Over, yeah. I'm interested Have you ever it. slept on one of those? No. I've it's kind of different. I like it. Yeah. yeah. It okay, it's sounds a smart amazing. Bed. Smart bed. It sounds amazing. All right. So let's bring him in. Come get on. him sit down. Ron Hornaday's here. Hey, bud. Look at him. Yeah, barely. Come on in. I got about two hours. I figured this ain't gonna be very good. <laughs> hey, Ron. My father in law's got a place in Wickenburger, and she's our neighbor. 98 NASCAR Bush Series. This when you and I went to the White yeah. House. <laughs> I figured if we ain't got nothing to talk about, we can bring her up because she's the one that's hilarious. She's the one that dressed us both because we all look like slobs and shit. <laughs> <laughs> here, get on this mic here and tell us about what you just gave Dale. This will be Pop good. Pop on those headphones. Banquet invitation or something. Yeah. You're like business. We're not gonna have fun. You're. We're going to have fun. Am I drinking a beer or anything? No. <laughs> I'd fall asleep. If I drank a beer right now, I would go right to sleep in this chair. Seriously. So, so Ron, now that we got you on mic, you came in and you handed Dale this uh, invitation, it looks like, uh, from a banquet. Well, tell us about that. I think this is Dale Jr.'s first championship and my second for your dad. Yeah. And uh, Teresa Underdown, what probably took care of us when we made us – Spruce ourselves up and, and, and clothed <laughs> us so we didn't look like a bunch of bums. Yeah. Uh, she showed me a bunch of pictures from the White House, and I've never seen these pictures because my PR person never saved them all. And uh, she's just a, a good friend and, and a, a good PR person. We kept Junior and I uh, afloat, I guess, kept yeah. us out of trouble. She was awesome. Yeah. Teresa Underdown, first PR person I really remember having, uh, and she was she was amazing. I was young and stupid and in trouble and didn't know how to act talk uh do an interview and she was sharp we both i think were real lucky yep 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 four-time truck series champion yes 2018 inducted into the nascar hall of fame man and you wore a hat during your speech thought that was pretty cool well i have to nobody would recognize me (laughs) (laughs) i doubt that yeah um I, I've watched a few interviews and, and read a lot of stories over the last couple of weeks and wanted – so when we get people on this on this show, a lot of times I like to go way back into the very beginning of their first sort of experience in, in motorsports because I know about you racing for dad. I know about your your career beyond that with Harvick and, this, and the success that you've had in the mm-hmm. truck series. I know very little about – your Southwest Tour racing, your Winston West racing, your dad's Winston West Winston West racing. So, 
Tell me about really the first time you remember seeing a race car, being around a race car. Well, I know getting in trouble. I think I was nine years old getting in trouble. My dad finally brought his race car home. Him and his, his partner had a fallen out. And he brought, moved the boat out of the garage and brought his race car home. Oh, wow. So I got to get down there the next couple of nights and tinkering with him, pull a tire off, and he was packing the wheel bearings. And uh, it's time to go in to eat. And we packed, you know, packed the bearings. And I'm sitting there, and you, I guess back in the day, they put grease on the hub, you know, on the spindle and all that stuff. And my dad come out after... I was still eating. My dad come out and come back in there and said, hey, I told you not to wipe the grease off the spindle. I said, I didn't, Dad. He went to the other side. He come back over, and the grease is gone again. So he says, quit doing it. So he sent me to my room, basically, after about three or four times. He come up there about 20 minutes later and said, man, I'm sorry, Ronnie. He said, come on down and help me out. He said, I found out where the wheel bearing grease is. The dog's been licking the wheel bearing grease off. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the first time I really got into you know doing that. But, I mean, when I grew up, I have always wanted this guy's motorcycle around the corner. So right. I, I did a lot of lawn mowing, a lot of picking up dog poop and everything you can name of the, to make money to buy this motorcycle. And my dad helped me out for the what last. What kind of motorcycle was it? It was a Rickman. It was black with a nickel-plated frame. It was badass. <laughs> and uh, I raced it. It wasn't one of those things. It was more kind of like a show bike. And, yeah. and when I got running decent, my dad bought me a Can-Am. And, uh, got a, a Can-Am? Short, a Can-Am. The Can-Am just came out. Oh, and uh, I got I actually got pretty good and started going to the pro series and got to start getting paid. I think my third ride, I hurt my leg real bad. And I was what did you do? Uh, a start, you know how they kind of go to the right hand corner, and I was on the inside, and I got my mm. leg pinched between the tire and the fender, and kind of turned gangrene and going every day. And they scrubbed it out with a wire brush and a whole deal. So oh my god, my motorcycle career. That was it. Short, short lived, <laughs> oh, and went man. into the go karts. Won two championships of go karts, and so when you got in go kart, you're on four tires, and um, you know, did you was this road course oval kind of go kart track where you racing on? It was at the at the dirt track. Oh, dirt track. where I ran my motorcycle at, and they had a little three eighths. No, I wasn't even three eighths mile. It was about a it was oval. Oval. Wow. Yeah. So it and, was it was still beating and banging. Yeah, yeah. So because. The thing about the West Coast uh, for me is, you know, and when I when I grew up in North Carolina, I thought, you know, man, racing's popular. I thought that, right? Because right. everywhere I went, there was a race car. Maybe it wasn't because obviously when I went to school and a lot of the kids that I was going to school with didn't give a crap about it. But in my mind, like, man, NASCAR or stock car racing is this big industry. And when I would think about it outside of, North Carolina, I'm like, the further we get outside of that bubble, the less I think people know about it. So I learned, I've learned obviously that that's incorrect. I mean, looking back over the history with uh, the Winston West series, Ray Elder and all those guys that ran in the seventies. Ray Elder. (laughs) Right. I became a huge fan of his. He came, Ray Elder ran in the Winston West series series. and Came to Daytona and won a qualifying race. Ran and ran fourth, I think, in the Daytona 500 one time. Like he could come here right. and compete. It was amazing. And uh, I have postcards of him. And anyways, I learned that NASCAR stock car racing actually has a pretty rich history out in in California. It does. I and, mean, a lot a lot of people's come from there now. If you look right. back at it, but yeah, I mean, everybody's. I, I think what really changed everything out there was the winter heat when they started televising it and showing because, you yeah. know, cup racing, Winston back then, they they got to show all the races on TV. But when we did ours down there, that's when 
you know, I came in, Biffle came in, Harvick yeah. came in, everybody, when when they started getting noticed out there, there are races was out there. It, they was know that how to on drive. TNN? Was that yes. that TNN yes. series? Yep. Oh, yeah. I remember that. That that was a big deal. Yeah. So your dad raced in the Winston West series, yep. is that right? Yep, 62-63 champion. Really? Yeah. And so do you remember any of that? I mean, you were young. I was the kid um, – what got scolded and, and had the, the police officer bring me back to my mom and the, and the grandstand. Out causing trouble. I was doing the figure eights and we had big guys, you know, with, with, with the tow trucks and we'd do figure eights around the, on the trees and just running. And I remember the old ascot, um, Aggie used to just carry me by my hair and carry me down the stairs and, and uh, say, Helen, take care of your son. He's sliding down my heel again onto that cardboard. He's staring <laughs> up my track. <laughs> so, a lot of good times. Yeah. So, so while your dad was winning championships, you were out causing trouble. Is that what we're hearing? Is that is that what you're He's saying? Just running around I, the track. Just, I, I was I was the kid that oh, Doc, here comes Hornaday's kid. You know, yeah, I was a hellraiser. <laughs> no different junior. We got stories of junior too. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> hey, listen, that's, uh, well, this is where we tell them. Um, <laughs> it is. <laughs> so you know, you're at the racetrack. Your dad's driving. Is at a young at that age? Are you? Uh, you know, are, are you thinking, man? I, I got to get in a car. I want to ride. I want to race. I want. This is what I want to do. I, I've always been hands on. My dad, when I first started anything, um, if I rode my motorcycle or raced it, we had this little stand where the front tires came off, the tire hung over the front, and you put a stand on the back, and, the, and I'd have to tear my motorcycle down completely. And I'd done it with my son with his racing. And anything you touch, you got to pull it apart and learn how to put it back together. And that's where I've learned at a young age, and and I just started getting. My small toolbox got into a bigger toolbox and then started working at, you know, different people's shops and stuff like that. So So racing was in was was what you wanted to do. I, I you never had any other No. I mean when I just got on a motorcycle, the go kart to anything, yeah. I've always wanted to race. I didn't What other jobs have you ever worked? I've been fortunate enough. I haven't I haven't had too many jobs. I've been really fortunate enough to <laughs> work for a transmission shop when I was fourteen years old. Okay. And I thought I had a lot of money when Lindy and I got married, but my mom kind of spent it all. I started working and making seven hundred dollars a week. Yeah, and I was back in. That's pretty good. Yeah, yeah, that was really good back money. Then, yeah. And Joe's uh, transmission for twelve years. Went into working for Mister Transmission for five years, and then worked for my dad over at Galpin Ford forever. And that was probably the best job. And I shouldn't say this because when my motor would break or something like that, I'd put my I'd get a, a wiring problem on a, a, a car and let. Ford pay me f- to go work on my motor. I put it on straight time. <laughs> oh, wow. Wow. That's smart, yeah. man. Clever. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah. I still got paid, but I still got to work on my race motor. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's yeah. interesting. I'll, I'll probably get called back up from Ford back in the day. Yeah. I just seen that. Did anybody ever catch on to that? Couldn't. My dad signed off on it. <laughs> <laughs> he was the boss. So um, you raced go-karts, and you said you won track. Uh, you won. Yep. Was that WKA? I don't even know yeah, what it was. What it was. It's, it's funny now as you see all these kids racing them, they're all laid down. I mean, when I when I got it, I got you can see from my belly all the way up, and the steering was down here, and yeah. you're, you're driving like this. You, you know? have but pictures. We, I got pictures. They're yeah. in the shop, just like everybody else has got. <laughs> when did you start building cars? Um, that that takes off way way after my career of, yeah. of racing. So you didn't build cars before. So before you came work working for dad in the trucks. You weren't. You didn't build cars. Then? Yes, I did. You did that. Yep, I did. But before then, they, they, whoever does the the inductee or the 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 checking of the facts. Hall of Fame, the facts, yeah. they got the wrong person in okay. there. They need to put my wife in there, Lindy. Okay, she's the one 
I was working on everybody's race car, Don Knowles race car, Hans Whiskey's, and I was always When go, you say you're working on the car, like, what's your responsibility? I learned how to weld from Don Knoll. I've learned how to pull motors out. I've, I've learned all that stuff. And I was just a kid who just got in there and did it. Everybody else had a big, big-time job. I got off at 3 o'clock, and I was over there getting a lot of stuff done before they got off work. And when I turned 16, I got to drive this hauler to the racetrack, and I said, man, that's the coolest thing, big F600 flip over cab, and you're driving at 16 years old, and, you know, after you go to Bob's Big Boy and fire the race car up on the trailer and just thought you were cool. But uh, it got to the point where we got married, rented a house, never rented anything in our life, and I think it's our first year in marriage. He says, why are you working on everybody's race car? And I said, because I love it. She said, why don't you just build your own? I said, yeah. <laughs> Why was telling you to build your own race car? What, what, what more? <laughs> So I went down to old Rudy Prince, a little used car lot. It's a 64 four-door Mercury, and we're racing at Antelope Valley Fairgrounds. John Christensen, I bought a cage from him. God, I don't even so want So you yours. bought a cage? For five bucks. And well, it was in all, it. It, Oh, they cut it out of another car. We just threw right. it in there. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Yes. What, kind, what was the first car? A 64 four-door Mercury. Oh, my God. The only Ford I ever drove in my whole career. Really? Yep. Yeah. I, I, my dad's worked for Gotham Ford for 43 years. I worked for 12 years. How did that thing drive a four-door? Good, the next year. I didn't win a race. My front tire kept falling off. <laughs> it's so funny at the Yellow Valley Fairgrounds is you got to have a muffler rule if it gets because you're, you're around. It's the it's fairgrounds. Yeah. So you got you know, houses around you and stuff. And if you go over the berm, you're, off the, you're out of the race. All four tires. If you only got two, they pull you back on. Well, a lot of people just push you over there to try to get you out the track. <laughs> so that's how I learned how to beat and bang and move people out of the way. Wow. Well, two times in a row, I got black flagged. So Lindy's dad owns a muffler shop, Bill's Muffler. And he goes, bring that thing up here. You'll never get black flagged again. He goes up there and he takes the exhaust and brings it right through the floorboard, puts the muffler on the drop passenger seat, and puts the exhaust pipe through the back window. Oh. I never got black flagged again. Well, now it started getting carbon dioxide. So the next year we go racing. <laughs> I can't afford a race car. We just got married. We got, you know, Ronnie, my son. We cut the roof off of it. We got somebody to sponsor us tires, cut all the fender wells up. We probably saved 500 pounds in the car and go out there. And I, I put Mike Barnett in the car. And he, he still claims that he taught me how to drive. But he, he won the first race of get the caster and camera right. And that's where I started learning about chassis of that big old heavy boat. And then yeah. everybody got him forward once we won the first race. We showed him a trophy. They got into taking the motor out of his old 351 Cleveland. And they started building the motor and bigger carburetor. And I started winning races. How old were you when you got married? 20. 20. Okay. Yep. Been married 40 years. Can you do the math? Uh, well, I mean, I, I can do somewhat math. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's, Your wife is a special woman. She is. Yeah, tell me about her. I, no, you tell me about her. Who's, who who, <laughs> who co-signed for your first cell phone? What? She must have been her. <laughs> <laughs> is that right? Yeah. So, uh, Why? She, she was the mom I was for hoping, a lot of us. Was I, she? Yeah. I was really hoping Junior started this out as, well, well what have you been doing lately? I said, I'm, I'm resting up on my sleep now since your dad called every morning because Ronnie and my son, or Ronnie and Junior, used to hang out together a lot. Yeah. And every morning, 5, 36 o'clock, Nanny, Junior there, tell him to come home. we got to start working on these cars. Oh, wow. Every morning, so. Yep. Trying to find out where you're at. Yeah. 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 You couldn't get very far from Dale. Well, uh, everybody that we've had that's worked at when, DEI always has those stories about those early morning wake-up calls from Dale ooh. Earnhardt. They said uh, when Ron and the when it's so long ago I can hardly remember. But when y'all first came to North Carolina, y'all lived on Irvin Road in a house near where I grew up. Right, right, right around the corner. Yeah. When, when I first came here, I came in '94, and Dad was still out there. Right, Dad was still living on the lake house. Right. 
uh, just 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 just, kind of just got yeah, just got the yeah. just got so, the house and, and the deer head shop. And so they're half a mile from where I'd been living. Irvin Road, right, right, right. And so I'm like, I'll just hang out over here. This is fun. Ronnie, me and him had the same interests. We're playing video games and hanging out all the time. And Ron had Ron had everybody hanging out on his couch. Your couch is like the most <laughs> famous couch in racing. We're gonna talk about that. But um, his wife was. His wife is just so, she's like a perfect mom. Like she's she she takes care of everybody that walks through the door. Yep. And and, and your Christmases, got a heart your of gold, Halloween's, your Easter's. It's all about the kids. Yeah. yeah. And it's funny, funny. It's like Junior. This is my son talking. Junior, just admire my mom. Just let her go. Let her do her deal. You know, just play along with their little game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I I love love hanging out over there. And, uh, yeah, me and Ronnie were pretty close. So it snowed the first time. And I remember, I think, the second year, I finally got a Chevrolet pickup truck. It was a four-wheel drive. And it finally snowed out here. And Junior calls Ronnie up and says, come get me, man. We'll go play out in the snow. He couldn't drive because his little S10 wouldn't go. Make, as a matter of fact, he had his uh, Dodge Charger, 66 Charger. Didn't even go in it. So I pick him up. I remember coming down that little back road from your dad's house. He said, yelling at me, stop, stop, stop. And it's like. All of a sudden, the door flies open, and Junior jumping this guy's fence and grabbing the inner tube. Remember, we borrowed it. Yes. <laughs> it's like, Junior, you can't steal that off from me. I don't worry about it. We'll bring it back. We, I tell you what, we played in that, down that hill all day long. These kids did. <laughs> and on the way back, Junior got back out. He said, wait, wait, we can't leave. I got to get that inner tube. And he took it back to the guy's house and threw it back over there. I took him home. <laughs> like, <laughs> you remember like, like it was left. yesterday. <laughs> That's hilarious. But it definitely sounds oh. like something you would have done, right? For sure. I guess. Did Ronnie and Dale get in trouble at all? I, I don't know, but you know, it's so funny. The older I get and the more beer I drink with my son, the stories come out. Oh, it's so amazing. You're, you're still learning. I'm still learning. Maybe yeah. we got to get Ronnie on here. Okay, oh, yeah. Get the real stuff. That's cool. Yeah. So, so when you moved, you moved here in 94 is what you're saying, right? I, my wife's still, and that's where we're getting to the, the building the cart. I, still, I had an auto repair store, a two bay, three bay basically, two lifts, auto repair store. Auto repair store. You owned it. I owned it. My father-in-law. Bought it. I was working it. I was paying it back, and I had a race car shop. And I had twelve or seven guys at the time. And the time I left, we had twelve guys working for us. And, and our biggest deal in our it was a Victory Circle race cars. And our biggest I remember that name. Our biggest race was the Copper Classic. It's just before the Cup race, and we run on Friday afternoon. Thirty six cars started the field, and twenty seven were the cars came out of Victory Circle we built. Yeah. Wow. Started the field. Yeah. So we were pretty big back then, and I ended up moving back. Somebody didn't know what sponsorship mean when the kid worked for me and gave a lot of parts away. And it's like, I went a little upside down. You know, I owe 10 grand and 10 <laughs> grand's a lot of money back then. Yeah. So we actually, Craig Rodman took it over and then somebody bought it and it's still running out in Bakersfield. Really? So tell me some of the name. So you talk, you run a, you run a Southwest car. Yep. I remember seeing that car. You brought it out here to run at Bristol. Yep. Funny thing is, he brings a Southwest car out there. Beautiful race car. I ain't never seen anything like it. Uh, left-handed chassis, lightweight, and I look. We looked at the uh, lower control arms and the spindles, and <laughs> Dad's like, "Man, you better beef that stuff up going to Bristol. That little stuff right there is gonna snap right off." Yeah, it's funnier said. I said, "No, I want to be all right." And we get there, and, and we thought we were y'all were flying. Yeah, and we get back, and it bent the upper air and plate and everything. <laughs> They all got the, out in front of the shop where we used to put bodies on your guys' car, and he says, "Get out of the way, Horny!" He grabbed that old cutting torch, cut everything off, and we got that. We welded all night long, and we almost kicked their ass. We were up yeah. there, we lapped all the way to third place, and five laps ago, we broke an oil line, yep. ran over somebody's hood. Yeah, wow, that was pretty cool. Um, 
So I want to step back, though. You ran in the Winston Rest Series. Uh, you had your own cars. How was that working out? I mean, Winston West is basically the Cup Series out there in the West Coast. Uh, where yeah, we, we'd buy old Cup cars from. Where'd you buy your here? cars from? Well, actually, I was fortunate enough to get Hutchin and Pagan to help me out. Really? And I actually built my first own car. Oh, really? But um, it all started back where, you know, driving at, at the fairgrounds. Mm-hmm. And then it got to where I finally won my first race, and uh, a guy wanted me to drive his car at Saugus. Well, there's a street stock, sportsman, and late model, whatever you want to call it. Right. Well, never being at one of them racetracks, and there's 100 cars there, I get in the wrong division. I, I take a street stock into a sportsman class, Uh-oh. and I finish third with it. Damn. And the guy just gets excited and starts to say, hey, you know. So I finally won my first race at Saugus Speedway back, gosh, it had been back in the 79 or something like that. My dad finds out about it, that I'm, hey, I'm doing pretty good. So now he wants to build a race car. We called Speedway Engineering, Frank Danny. Everybody knows Frank Danny. Oh, yeah. Back in the day, you had one in your yeah. car and the whole deal. And, Gold, uh, wow. Gold Track? What was the name yep. of the Yep, Dan Press, Gold Track. Yeah. Yep. Yep, the friction deal. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and uh, just a family race car. My brother-in-law owned the, the car hauler. My brother helped with the motor. I built all the cars and all the bodies, and nobody can worry. It's funny as I get to the shop. At my dad's house, and we, we drive an hour all the way to Simi Valley from where we worked. And I was like, Dad, where's everybody at? He said, I didn't think you are coming. I sent them home. Nobody's going to work on your race car unless you work on it with them to know what it's all about. And that's wow. how I learned how to work on them. Yeah. So long story short, we, we did that, ran good. I mean, we finished in the points a couple times, and we never really ran. We just went to the big races, and I finally got good enough where I was, I was beating Jim Thurkettle, Jimmy Anselow, and all them guys. And they're the big-name guy. Those are Jimmy Anselow, yeah. Yeah, those, those are the – well, Jimmy, Jimmy raced out here. He did. I John, drove John Covan's dad's car, Pop Covan, in 79 and won a, no, 87 and won my first championship. And I was the first NASCAR championship. So I am a seven-time NASCAR, NASCAR champion. NASCAR champion. Yeah. And then went on from there. Bob Fisher come along. I, I did a little ride hopping, you know, helping people out, working on their stuff because, you know, I had a welder and I had a brake and, and, and did that and I'd drive their cars. And then, uh, Southwest Tour came along. That's when Victory Circle started with Dan Press. Lenny and I were running out of money, and you know, she'd do fingernails at night and just get enough money to go racing. And, and we'd had to depend on our winnings to go racing, or we, we weren't going. Yeah. And uh, Bob Fisher from Palmdale Chiropractor, and you kind of where my they made my name with the yellow and orange number ninety-seven, and and he come along, and I about the third year or second year, I asked him. I said, "Why are you helping me out? I mean, you're not getting nothing. You're you're a local Palmdale chiropractor." And we're going to Eureka, we're going to Bakersfield, we're going everywhere. It's not going to help you out. He goes, someday, kid, you make it big. I want two tickets to Daytona. Wow. And your dad told me I was going to Daytona. I called Bob Fisher up. I said, you got two tickets coming, fully paid, bud. Wow. <laughs> That's awesome. And to this day, we're still good, good friends. He That's believed awesome. in you. He believed that his son actually lived with me for a year and a half, two years, and went to every race. He was my good luck charm back in the day when we were wow. start winning races. Hey, quick question from my own knowledge. What was, Winston West I was familiar with, but the Southwest, what was the difference between the Winston West and the, it was and a, the Southwest? It, it was a late model like he ran, okay, local, but we got the tour with it. But we had a 9-to-1 compression. Yeah. We got more chiseled nose. Winston West is basically a cup car. I remember that. On the West yep. Coast. The Southwest Tour is a, is a left-handed super late model. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And when, and when you were saying that, I, when I pulled up there into the garage area, and they were teching my car. They said, you brought a knife to a gunfight. I said, why is that? He said, well, you got a perimeter car. Everybody's got straight rails. Your frame's going to drag. I said, well, 
I think we'll be all right. You had a perimeter car, which is basically a, like could, a straight chassis, a regular chassis like a cup car would be. Right. We could run road course and everything. With yeah. it. And, and that's what's so good is we didn't have the money to build two cars to go road course racing. So we just made one perimeter car. If they measured it, it was still three inches offset. They just didn't know how to measure it, right? Because <laughs> yeah. I, I made a thicker frame roll on the left side. <laughs> so they measured the inside and it was perimeter. Oh, wow. wow. And you did okay with it? Uh, two championships, 92 and 93, uh, first back-to-back. Yeah. Okay, you did all right. You did yeah. fair. <laughs> yeah. I, I remember, I mean, we were done. We were done racing. I mean, we were – well, you, you, you remember the race, uh, I think it was 92, that big crash coming off the back. Uh, Rick Crelly, remember Rick Crelly? Yeah. He, he blew a tire. I was leading the points. My brother-in-law needed some work done on his exhaust. I said, dude, I'm busy. I mean, I'm working on his customer's car. I even got my car done, and we're leaving tonight to go to Phoenix. Well, we get down there. First 10 laps of the race, here comes an exhaust pipe flying. It comes to my windshield, breaks my little femur bone, and it's fiberglass roof, plastic windshield, and the whole deal. It knocked everything out. So we in and out of the pits. We're taping it up, taping it up. Well, we're only three points out of the championship. Rick Curley's leading, and Doug George is right there. Three of us are battling it out tight. You know, going in with the little five-inch clutches, well, I end up burning the clutch out of the thing. The thing wouldn't move, so we pulled behind the pits and going in and out of the pits, taping. Got a picture of the whole thing. I mean, it's just. Sure. Yeah, so now we're crying. Every penny we've ever had, Lenny and I ever saved, is in this last race. And, you know, it's like, ah, oh, we're done. We just lost it. So I'm in there. I got the car jacked. I'm trying to change transmission. You got the old slope downsides and could get the trans out. Finally got it out. Ten laps ago, we get back on the track and the clutch is like, well, they didn't put a shifter. They put it in high gear. So I burned that one up going, going out of the pits. Doug George blows a motor with 15 to go, so that gives us a chance with Corelli. So we're three points out with Corelli. White flag lap, we're, we're cruising around half pace. Corelli blows a tire off a of four, causes what? a 17-car pileup. Oh, wow. Schrader come through. Daryl Waltrip come through. Waltrip won a Schrader with second. And I finally creep through there. I mean, 17 cars are wrecked on the front straightaway at Phoenix. You know, you'd have been there. Yeah. It's, you can't go nowhere. I get there, and I've stopped five feet from there. And my whole crew's on the thing. Push it across the line. Push it. Or start it up. I, it, go across the line. Well, it won't go. It, the clutch is burned out of it. stuck in gear. What the? So he went to get out, push it across the line. And I said, we won the championship by one point. I said, you kidding wow. me? What? It wasn't, it wasn't pushing it across the line. It was so they didn't have a DNF all year. <laughs> Are you kidding me? So with that thing in gear, them guys pushed that car all the way around the whole one-mile track and pushed it back. And they wouldn't go down pit road. They pushed it all the yeah. way. I was so proud of that. And that's the next year, it's like, we can't do this again. I'm done. I mean, we're just going to go to the next couple of races and do that. Yeah, we won three in a row, and then we paid for that, and we won four in a row, and then first back-to-back. Mm. But to go for your first championship and your own money and your own car, that's a, the hardest thing on your family. Anything you'd ever do, I mean, you're, you, you're crying in tears. Like, everything I've ever worked for just went downhill right there. But yeah. it worked out good. You were living race to race almost then. I mean, like, oh, you, we you, were. this wasn't a you, – you weren't thinking career mode. You were just think, trying to get to the next race. We, we lived in the nine – our first house we ever bought was up in Palmdale. And that's why everybody thinks I'm from Palmdale, but I'm not. I'm from – I grew up in Simi Valley. My car was in the garage, and we lived right by the train tracks, the main Sierra Highway, and 980-square-foot house – one car garage, and my wife was inside doing fingernails every night. She'd get home from work, do fingernails from 6 to like 3 in the morning, and i work on a race car yeah. after work. And I thought that's how we did it. Mm. And then she was, her fingernail money, I mean, I, I, somebody stole my fire suit and helmet. She had money to pay for that. So I blew a motor. She had money to pay for that. So she's the one that kept me in racing. That's why she's the one. 
should be in the Hall of Fame. There's so many stories. <laughs> no, I'm believing it now. I'm hearing oh, all these yeah. stories about her. Yeah, I mean, yeah. man, what, what, what an amazing woman. We got to do this about 10 more times. Junior <laughs> and I, we got so many stories about his dad and what he's done. Oh, and yeah. First time he's picked me up from the airport. Well, that's well, we're gonna get to that. Yeah, so let's, let's get to it, man. Talk talk about like when you think about dad and you think about memories. What are some of those fond memories? You know, everybody asks me, try, tell me a story about right. dad, and I, I never have, I never will. I've always wanted to sit down. I told you I want to come home and have a beer with you, and and I just you, you're if you remember your dad's gathering, your memorial or whatever. Yeah, I was the only one crying in there. He who was a dad to me. He taught me. Get life insurance, get health insurance, how to do things, quit buying this, go buy a property, go do this. And we're not set for life, Lindy and I, but we're not hurting. I'm only a truck racer. Everybody thinks that I got money because I came from NASCAR. Well, truck racers didn't make the money. Right. Dale Jr. made more money in his first year, and I made the whole, my whole thing, I believe. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Because you know, you know, you, I, got, I got hired from Dale Earnhardt for $60,000 a year. But the first time he called me up, you want to hear the whole story? Sure. Yes. <sighs> I don't know if I can. I might have to cry. <laughs> no. <laughs> you won't be the first one that's cried at that chair. No. Um, last race, Tucson. No, not the last race. Second to last race, Benny Parsons said you're going to be getting a phone call after this race. I mean. He said that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. He uh, knew. Well, the truck series was starting. I, nobody knew it out there. Oh, oh. Yeah, nobody yeah, yeah. knew what, you know, what the super trucks and all that stuff were coming. Right. And people were looking for drivers. So, I guess uh, – I think it was seven weeks or eight weeks in a row we raced out there. And it's all televised. And I was fortunate enough to drive Wayne Spears' truck, um, Southwest Tour, Winston West, and some IMCA modified stuff. Well, IMCA ran every week, and I got to drive this guy's car. The first time I drove it, it's like, man, this thing's too loose. So I took the right rear tire, put it on the left rear, left rear on the right rear, and it's, it's reverse dagger. And the guy had such a motor, it just kicked everybody's butt. Long story short, I won a lot of races out there. Very fortunate. And uh, Benny said, you're going to get a phone call. Well, long story short, every time I raced, remember Larry Nastin? He passed away. He was with Mechanics Work. Yeah. yeah, yeah, he was with Mechanics Work. He was an announcer, radio type deal, every Monday morning. Ron Hornay, this is Rich Patty. How'd you do this, Wacken? You know, it, it yeah. just tried to sound <laughs> like he was, he, he was uh, <laughs> you know, like Richard Petty. Well, driving home, you know, we didn't have cell phones back then. We stopped to get fuel. We call up the shop. And I say, hey, we got a phone call. He says, yeah, Larry Nassar keeps calling. Pretend he's Dale Earnhardt. And we kept hanging up on him. We <laughs> said, we're so busy trying to get this car done before you get back to the shop. I said, well, I heard Dale's supposed to be calling. He said, well, he called three times. I hung up on him. I'm sorry. So they always thought it was Larry Nassar. <laughs> so we finally get home. It's an eight-hour drive from Phoenix to, to where our shop was. And I pull in there and say, Dale's on the phone. I said, do me a favor. Tell him to hold on. I go to the bathroom really, really bad. I mean, yeah. just drove eight hours. So I put Dale on hold again. And he says, Hornaday, this is Dale Earnhardt. I said, yes, sir. What can I do for you? He said, you want to drive my super truck next year? I said, I'd love to. He said, all right, I'll, I'll see you tomorrow. I said, are you coming out here? He goes, no, you got to fly out here. I said, I can't. I said, I got one more race. I mean, there's only me and my brother-in-law working on my cars. He said, well, if you want a job, you're going to be out here. I'll have you a ticket overnight. And wow. Whoa. Uh, Tuesday morning, or Tuesday morning, we got a plane ticket. And I was flying out Tuesday night, and he picked me up at the airport. I've raced against Dale. I got to race Winston West at Phoenix. And lap down, guess who moves me out of the way? That old black number three moved me up. And I wiggle all the way up there. I drove down to turn three, and I could drive into three. I was pretty good. I drove along that little apron, went up like that, slid into that. And I said, hey, guys, look. Look at Earnhardt's car. That's my tire ball. I got a driver's door. <laughs> <laughs> That's 
awesome. But in, in, back in the day, I mean, I raced a, a, against Waltrip and, and Schrader and all that stuff when they came out and run the Southwest Tour at yeah. Sears Point and all that. So they kind of knew who I was. And I always thought I'd be driving for Waltrip. And it ended up where your dad called me. It's like, cool. So long story short, remember your dad's poster, the good the the Goodyear tire in his tuxedo with his seven championship yeah. trophies? Your dad had that black truck, cab and a half, sitting there with his foot up on the dashboard with his trophies in the back, three of them in the back and four in the, in the bed of the truck because he went and did the photo shoot for that, for that. with his tuxedo on. Oh, really? Wait, when he picked you up? At 9 o'clock in the morning. This so. is what he was dressed like with a tuxedo and his trophy? You know, <laughs> <laughs> you, knew, awesome. you knew where he was because there were 30 people in line waiting for his autograph oh. with his foot up there just signing everybody's. That's and the wow. first time Earnhardt picked me up, not know I know him because I talked to him with track, sure. shook his hand, not knowing you know how you know Mister Earnhardt, you're shaking him like that. But wow, <laughs> what are you doing with those? Showing them off? Yeah, <laughs> you know impression. that's what I'm thinking. But you know, just driving there, and I got my little backpack because I'm only staying for a couple of days, and I got to go back to you know Tucson. And he started driving up the road, and instead of going the interstate, he takes the old back roads. Going by Schrader's shop, showing me this, showing me that. You know, your dad is oh, he, yeah. he likes to show you the, the surroundings. But we're not going 45 with the speed limit. We're going 70, 80, so he's passing cars. Mm. And so we going up at the time. I didn't know where three was, Cottle Creek Highway. He gets out of Schrader's. And, yeah, Schrader, he should have bought bigger. He's going to get bigger than that. He needs a bigger shop. You know, <laughs> Going up that thing, this black dually pulls in front. Your dad gets another run, goes around it. About the third time, your dad goes up there and runs in the back of this black dually. I'm like, oh, my God. And this is a brand new Chevy truck your dad's driving. Guy turns in the street. We go up two blocks, turns back in there. I look at him, I said, what was that all about? He said, that guy's dating my daughter. I don't like him. Wow. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> it was your dad's other truck on the ranch. Oh, I didn't know. <laughs> so this is the first time I got with Earnhardt. So we drive in a little, it wasn't even a gate. That, yeah, it was that yeah. sliding gate with the deer hitch up. Yep. He had the, the hay bale barn over yeah. there. So he drives there and. Drives out, there's a race car shop right there. I was like, wow, my shop's bigger than that. You know, he drives <laughs> in the back. He showed me all his deer. He showed me everything. Never, never got out of the truck. He just drove around this whole ranch. Yep. Pulls back up. There's, hey, your crew chief's in there, Doug Richards. Go see him. Oh. And that was it. I didn't see your dad all day long. He went to sign autographs, you know, get up to his little room and stuff like that. Wow. That was your introduction. That was my everything introduction. Everything was set yeah. up like that. Yep. That's the most Dale Earnhardt story ever, really. <laughs> Every, everything we've heard about it. Well, we got to remember, we're going to Phoenix in three months, I think. Yeah. And, and I'm looking at it, we got a bare chassis sitting there, not painted nothing. And I got in there with Doug Richard and started, we started putting the truck together. Yep. And it was by the time I got back a month later, and that's when I came out to help put the truck together, that Liddy stayed home, ran both businesses. In ninety middle of 95, she moved out selling the auto repair store in Victory Circle. So the um, the shop that the truck was in was a, <laughs> was a storage was was you know where all they kept all the oil and parts and pieces and all the pit well, boxes. First, it was stuff. a hay bale deal, and they right. added the front onto it. Yeah, it was a hay bale building, and they they closed it in and then started putting stuff in there. There was a paint booth in there, and the truck was behind the paint booth. So yeah. they pulled the truck in the shop and then park it in a bay that was right behind the paint booth. They sat there and built that truck for weeks, getting it ready for the first race of the year. They were cutting the tunnel out of the truck across, directly across from them, about 12 feet away. I had my late model car, and I was doing the same thing with my late model. I was getting it ready for the first race of the season. 
I'd go over to that truck and watch them cut the cut on the interior of that thing. And <laughs> my late model uh, shifter tunnel was banged up and beat on and hammered and messed up. And I'm looking at that and I'm like, I ain't. I'm not a fabricator. I don't know if I can tack in an interior, but I'm going to try. So I cut. I I basically watched them build the tunnel of that truck, the shifter box, and everything for it, and mimicked everything they did to build the same sort of shifter tunnel in my late model car. And I ended up building a real good looking race car because I stood there and watched them build that truck. And then we went down to Myrtle Beach Speedway to. I went. I took my car to Myrtle Beach. Uh, before the season started to shake it down, and Ron went with me. You remember that? Yep. I went with the crowd a few times. I'll pop, my yep. follow along, and grandma, Graham. Yep. So I got pictures of me and you with that late model, no decals on it yet, just me and Ron at the racetrack. I think Ronnie was there and maybe one other guy. Yep. But it was me and him, and we tuned on that thing uh, all day long getting it ready. I also had this – I ran another car, an older car, on Friday nights at I-95 Speedway. This is one of the coolest things that Ron Hornaday ever did for me. We had big springs in this chassis, and it was the front clip was too narrow, so the springs were too the big springs buckets were too close together, and the car just didn't drive well at all. And I needed to get the springs out outboard, and the best way to do that is to cut those bucket springs out and put coilovers on it. But Dad was a, not a big coilover fan. He felt like if you're going to grace in the Cup Series on big springs, you should learn to drive on big springs and late models and everything else. And I always felt that was a bit of a disadvantage because at it the was. time – Nobody else was doing that. No, right. everybody had coilovers. That's, cha- that's since changed a little bit. But Ron came into the shop and helped me cut all the buckets out of that car and weld coilovers on this car for nothing. I mean, he came in there. He has other stuff to do. He's trying to establish himself as a truck racer, and he's got other responsibilities and all that going on. But he's, I don't know, he spent a couple of days yeah. torching the clip up on this thing and boxing the clip in and then building it, you know, welding coilovers on it. And I'm thinking, this thing's going to be amazing. And we ended up going down there. We ran 14 races with that car that year at I-95 Speedway. We won one and finished second in 14 others. Yep. We wrecked out of the last race. But, um, we ended up running 16 races, but I mean, we, we that car was awesome. Mm. Who, who, was a short, who was a short guy, always grumpy, worked on the cars? Uh, his name nickname was Fats. Yeah, Fats. My, I think his, uh, well, he was loading your yeah. car up, and then he was getting a trainer to load Kelly's car up. Yeah. And I said, What are you going to do? It? Where, are you, where are you going? He said, We're going we're gonna, to, they got a new updated body. Dale wants to put new bodies on these cars. I said, No, 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 no. Unload them. Your dad, we ordered bodies from Five Star, and you and I. And made your brother and your sister drill all the bodies off, and yep. you and I hung the bodies on them cars. Yeah. I remember that sitting right outside by the, where we used to wash <laughs> by the deerhead shop. Yeah, it was a lot of fun back then, and um, I loved being around Ron because when I mean I knew as soon as I saw his own personal Southwest Tour car, I was like, I need to watch this guy because the craftsmanship and the and the clean beauty and clean you know how they built things on that car was just so smart. And then, and I knew he knew a lot about coilovers and and yeah. getting those cars to work. And yeah, I didn't know nothing about you know when we had our Winston West car. Like we first started, we had four hundred thirty five pounds of lead in it. Me doing body work was a piece of aluminum fabricated with a brake and pot. Me to do English wheels, no. We sold that car four years later. It had it was thirty five pounds heavy. I sold the car for 
$5,200 with every wheel, every transmission, every motor I ever got because I didn't want to do one so much race. It was too much. I didn't know how to do body work, and I just kept putting Bondo on it. Bondo. Like <laughs> 435 pounds of lead to 52 pounds overweight. Oh, wow. Yeah, so I just beat it out and bottomed it to make it look good. Yeah. And we didn't have wraps back then. No, you didn't. Yeah, you always spray painted it. And, yeah. That was so much fun, though, working in that shop and, and having Ron around back then. And, I mean, things picked up pretty quickly after that. I mean, I ended up getting in the Xfinity stuff, and, and he was winning championships, and we all got very busy, and the late model stuff went yep. away. But those late model days, I wish I knew the fun I was having. I certainly Well, I mean, I, I've always got the phone call from Kelly. Get up here and see me Monday. How the kids do? Because I'd go with him, or if I didn't go with him, I'd go with Kelly. Went, to, went with your brother a couple times yep. testing everything, but he was on his own agenda. But uh, I always thought Kelly was better than he was because yeah. he he knew he, he had to work on it. She had fats to do all her stuff. So she'd go out there, and if you move her out of the way, you better look out because she's going to take the whole right side off to pass you back. Yeah. He knew he had to work on his stuff. She just had fats <laughs> to do hers. Wow. Yeah. Why it, were you going to all these late model I races? I enjoy racing. I mean, you I'm just, a racer. So, I mean, but, but Dale's right. I would assume you'd have other things going on and th- things to do, tending to your trucks the, and whatnot. He but. did, but he made time. You know, there's, there's, that just speaks to his character. And Well, we, no, we, we worked until, I mean, Dale made everybody leave at yeah. 5. They got a family. Dale, I beat everybody. You, you be here early? I don't care. But you're going home at 5 and have dinner with your family, Dale. That was that always right? that way. And then we'd start working on his stuff. Yeah. He'd work on his all day long, but then we'd go over there. And reinvent the wheel sometimes, make it work. And sometimes we didn't make it work, yeah. but we, we tried different stuff. So you're talking about stories with Dad. Uh, y'all had a lot of success together, um, won a couple championships. And you got an opportunity to get into the Xfinity car. And what was the difference, I guess, for you getting out of the truck and into the Xfinity car? Yeah, I think you, take, you took pretty much most of the same guys from that truck team yeah. into that deal. Yeah. How, how, how was that transition for you? Well, the biggest transition was – how the shop was growing, trying to keep building teams. Is your nobody knew what your dad plans were building a cup the team? Vision, you, yeah. yeah, you know. And then he put our race, our, our trucks down at the other end by the chicken coop, and you know, working out of that. So you think you can get away with things, but nobody. I swear, Dale and every deer head he had laying around the shop, it had a camera in it because he knew it was going <laughs> on. But he'd get up at four o'clock in the morning, listen to Steve Parker. I mean, he'd get up at four o'clock in the morning and go see what everybody's done and checking everything out and looking at cars. And speaking of tunnels, I remember when we first won our first championship in Banjo, Graham was in there cutting the tunnel out and doing some arrow. And he cut four trucks apart, did all this stuff, and they'll load them trucks back up and take them to Hutch and Pagan. They were fast last year, put them back the same way. Ooh. So he didn't mind spending the money, but you ain't going to do nothing unless you tell them. Yeah. So, wow. I mean, that was so cool about it. So, I mean, it just everything changing. And, and then when I got the opportunity to go to Daytona in the AC Delco, what was it? No, it was Napa. 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 Yeah. That's the Xfinity I, car. Yep. That's yeah. when I called uh, Bob Fisher from Palmdale Chiropractor yeah. and said, hey, we're going to Daytona, buddy. Earnhardt, yeah. you know, and it was the coolest thing. So I you, still have my fire suit and my stitches. You know, you ever seen when Michael drove the, the following year in Cup or the, later down the road yeah. and, and they, they show the big wreck down there at the Napa? That was me in the Nationwide at the time. Yeah. <laughs> or Xfinity. And uh, had it saved and float up and somebody runs in the back and you're now you're sliding through the grass and somebody's there and I T-bone him, you know, it's like slide and slide and slide. Had my seatbelts too high, had to wear a full face helmet, come down and cut my chin, that's where I got the scar from. My wife, you, you've seen my trophy room, you haven't seen it lately, but I mean it's smaller now because I sold the big house, but she kept all the graffiti if you want, she's kept everything. Well, she's kept these stitches with my fire suit stapled in a plastic hilarious. bag with the little drips of blood on there for my oh, first, first race at Daytona. <laughs> 
So this would have been 2000 because yeah. yes. this would have been you'd have gone to Cup. Yeah. You had been running the trucks for DEI for four years, right? And then he goes to Cup as a rookie, and now you're in that Xfinity car right. with Napa. My question is, what was your ambitions at this time? I mean, did you go to DEI in 95 or 96, whenever it was, when wanting to get to Cup, wanting to get to Xfinity, or just or were you just along for the ride, sort of like the, you know, your your whole history in racing is that you were just going to race and didn't really think much about the future. Where were you at mentally in that state? I never thought of anything. Didn't I just I just wanted to race, and this guy's paying me sixty thousand dollars a year to drive his truck. Hell yeah, I'm going. I'm, I mean, I just loved racing. Yeah, I mean, it didn't matter what it took. I mean, I I drove people's race cars what I shouldn't have because they were scary. But I mean, I just you learn. You learn by driving. Uh, we call them boxes or, or good cars or bad cars. You learn something every time you get in something. So, I mean, I just wanted to race. And then when, when I got the opportunity, I did. And, and so uh, you would have brought your truck team to that deal because you basically took your Xfinity team or your Bush Series team and yeah. took them to Cup, right? right. That's Pops, that's all, you know, the Uri's and everything else, right? Yeah, exactly. So, so what was that year like uh, running Bush? It was cool. I mean, I, big shoes to fill. I mean, yeah, two, coming off two. Yeah, we had Jeff Green. Jeff Green ran, you know, ran good, and and Napa was pretty excited. And we had big expectations. We won a couple races, but nothing, yeah. never set it on fire. And I don't know if it was I, at the time the trucks before the trucks had more downforce. Now before we had lift in the trucks, we were a thousand eleven hundred pound right front spring, and now we're down to three hundred four hundred pound yeah. springs to get them down on the earth. So the car does drive different. It did. Arrow wise, it you know, in first time going to Daytona, I think we ran pretty good. We, you know, I didn't have the Dale Junior carburetor that they called it. I couldn't sit on the <laughs> What is that? Yeah. Nothing. They always say the Junior cheats oh, when yeah, he gets yeah, old. He yeah. learned from his dad. He soaked everything in there. Yeah. I always said he cheated. He had, you didn't have the carburetor Junior had. It's yeah. like really, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> maybe they're just good at that place, right? Is it ever? I hear the same. Uh, you hear the same thing when you win races. It don't matter. Sure. We're we're building dirt cars now, and you hear the same thing. So yeah. So how how did the how did the split end up happening? You don't want to hear about that. Why not? I thought I was going to kill Ty Norris, but... <laughs> you don't have to throw anybody under the bus. Oh, yeah, I do. Okay. Oh, yes, I do. All no. right. It was... Uh, I don't have to throw nobody under the bus. It was resign year. A lot of going back up there. Napa's pretty happy. You know, a lot of the guys, Napa guys hang out. Yeah. Not, not the two big wigs. Would have been You've had here. one year in the Xfinity Series. You won two races. Mm-hmm. And so we probably should have won three or four more. Pretty reasonable than that. Yeah. season, yeah. I think so, but right. Didn't know what the expectations was. But I had to go resign my new contract. I thought so. I got called up to Dale Earnhardt. Say, yeah, give me an extension on there. And Ty grabs me and takes me up there, and uh, he said, "Dale wants to talk to you." And sit down on the chair right across the street, right across from your dad's office, and he says, uh, "You might have to look at your options." I said, "What's that?" He said, "You might have to look at your options." I said, well, I don't have no options. What are we talking about? And he says, well, Napa wants to go a different direction, and uh, they, you're not going to be the driver. And this time, the phone rings. Hello. Now, hold on one second. I got to take this phone call. Can you step out? I said, Ty, I said, you're firing me, and you're, you're taking a phone call? <laughs> and Ty says, come on, honey. come on, come on. And I did the old pissed off at Ty. You knew what was going on. You didn't tell me the whole deal. And I took out down the – I didn't even walk that – down the elevator. I ran down the stairs, jumped in that truck, and I did a big old burnout and got up halfway and start stopped and looked at the shop. I said, Hey, honey, I called my wife. I said, Um, I think I got fired. I got Dale's truck. Do I take the truck back or do I go home? He said, Well, go home, cool off. Well, Tom, I got home. Your dad called and said, that, Hey, that was Mike Kelton. I didn't mean to blow you off that way. Just calm down. Come see me tomorrow morning. So he went and seen him the next morning. He says, Hey, I'll help you out doing anything you got to do. This is not my decision. This is 
you know, corporate decisions of everybody we got to do to make our business better. I said, I, I totally understand. But it threw me off guard because you took the phone call and it really made me mad. And and that was part of it. But we become good friends after that. I mean, yeah. And we never got to the point of Mondays, Monday night thunder. If Teresa didn't call, oh God, we had a hell of a time. Oh, that, hanging out at the farm. If if, if you don't, <laughs> oh, in the dairyhead shop talking racing. If you he see, wants to it, divert away <laughs> from this this sad no, conversation. That, no, to, it's sad. No, it was sad. No, it was actually, and then he got me to ride with AJ Foyt, and I got them cup How racing. How did that happen? Oh, he helped you. Oh, he helped me. Yeah, he's he's one. Of, it's one of them things. It's like you can MF me, you can do anything you want to do, but he said I can help you or hurt you in the series, Ron. You know, in, in NASCAR. I mean, he's a big influence in, in racing, and he's definitely helped me along, and always took me. He, he, he treated me like a kid, and uh, he said he got me into AJ stuff. Well, yeah. Without knowing any better, I would say that the. Is it true the situation was that Napa wanted to go cup racing? He was starting a cup, a new right. cup team. Exactly. Did he put Michael in? And that was the that was the situation. Right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Did he but, continue the Bush team or no? Was that it? No, yeah. that, that so, was it. That was yeah. it. I got gotcha. you. Yeah. yeah. So they took that sponsorship and you know got enough money where he can go to it. And then I see what they wanted to do is, and, and I didn't help myself when when Pinsoil car came out, the one car. I, I don't know if Steve got hurt or something. I had to drive. Yeah. I got to drive it at Darlington. And we were decent in practice, and I drove it off in there, qualified, and I got flat-footed. I mean, I never drove anything flat-footed at Darlington. And cups, a truck or nothing ran down there. I ran a, a two— Yeah, Darlington two, is yeah, the two nationwide race. place to go to for the first time. I got down one and two, got down the back straighter, got in there, and just that little hump down there, and I lifted, and she backed it, and backed it in the fence. And old Dale came, and he said, that would have been a track record. You'd have five seconds over everybody if you would have stuck. Yeah. <laughs> you got the one and two really good. So— you don't realize how fast you get through that corner. So that that might have been, you know, the game breaker because we needed to make the race. You know, Penzoil and everybody needed to make that race. Yeah. Well, that uh, you ended up getting in Foyt's car um, and ran in the Cup Series. Uh, that that it. That, That's all it, you can say. I ran in the Cup Series. Well, I mean, you you got in the Cup Series and you ran that season with Foyt. Not one of the not one of the most competitive race cars, but in two thousand and three and two thousand and four, you got a, a nice break to get in the Xfinity car with RCR. So, yep. and you had, uh, you were third in points one year with that car, third and fourth in points in those two seasons. And you compliment Harvick quite often for resurrecting your career. But would you say that this opportunity with RCR is kind of what catapulted that, uh, truck success later on? How did, first off, um, I, I feel like that that was what, you know, that was a turning point for you coming out of the 14 car on the cup series how did that conversation start with Richard? How did you get that opportunity? Well, I think I think in between there, I believe I didn't have a job. Right, you got let go from the fourteen. And I went, late uh, in the year. And I, I didn't get let go. It was kind of mutual. Was. We had a two year yeah. deal, and he was going to say, you know, I whatever. You don't want to get into politics or that. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, he ended up paying me on my contract, and I went on, and there was nothing available. So I went over to like everybody else does, and said, Mister Hendricks, how are you doing today? And he goes, Well, what do you need, Ron? And what do you want to race? I said, well, I'd like to go back to trucks and all that stuff. And uh, he says, go down and get Ricky's truck out of show him up there and just tell him we're going to run Daytona. Well, we did. Well, meantime, Ricky got hurt after that, uh-huh. after that, and I got to drive Ricky's car. I said, Bush Xfinity car, car yeah. Xfinity car for four or five races. And should have won a couple, but Lance McGrew was pitted us late trying to get the pits, like pit crew ready for the cup race and all that stuff, just get him practice. Long story short, didn't have a job. Richard's. Seen how good I ran on Ricky stuff, then I got that deal up there. Really? So it was really Rick Hendrick that helped. Yeah, uh, yeah. Pay I'll be damned. Way. I did not know that. I mean, if you look at look at my career, look at who I got to race for from Dale Earnhardt, Rick Hendricks, 
Richard yeah. Childress. I mean, I, I'm AJ Ford. I've been really fortunate enough to drive. And what, what I everybody says, well, how was it like? Well, the good thing about it, you didn't have to have excuses. They've raced. They're racers. You can't go in there and say, well, you know, this guy. It's, no, that guy didn't do that. You did this. There's only two people who knows what happens. Guys are pushing the pedals and turning the wheels. Everybody can watch what they want to watch. Yeah. There's only two people who got on the gas, who lifted, and who got sideways. Yeah. So when I went to build uh, my Xfinity team here at Junior Motorsports, I went to Kevin Harvick and I asked him advice as a car owner on what I should be doing. If he had any advice, he told me two things. He said, don't have an open account on the radio truck at the racetrack because yep. your guys will run, run, you, run the money up. And he said, keep the, shop, uh, keep the parts room locked and you better have your damn good parts guy. Your dad taught me that, and I think I put it on to Kevin. Yeah. Is this kid came in? I remember sitting sitting down, and he asked for a job. And your dad says, "Well, what do you want to do in life?" He says, "Well, I want to drive someday." He says, "You have your own team now." He says, "Yeah." He says, "I can't hire you then." He says, "Why? Well, I got my own team. Why not?" He says, "If you needed a quarter inch bolt or half inch bolt, and you took it out of my bin, and I got three hundred employees, how much money does that cost me?" And everybody took one bolt. And one nut. It's three cents or seven cents for a bolt and three cents for that. He said, I'm broke. And one can of paint, you know. So that's how Dale looked at it. And that's kind of, I don't know if I told Kevin that, but that's how I always looked at things. Yeah. I mean, you know what nuts and bolts and washers oh, cost. Yeah. And then you get one employee just taking a bolt in the washer. It's, it's three cents there and 10 cents there. By the time you're, you're, all adds that, up. that's eight, ten dollars a day. And do that times 365, you're, you're out, you're broke. Yeah. You're out of race team. So that's cool. Kevin did that. Yeah. So what was, um, I, I say that because, you know, you had a lot of success driving for him. Mm-hmm. And um, I wanted to know what he was like as a car owner. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, he was always cool. Yeah. As you're speaking of Mr. Childress, everyone I've ever drove for is cool. Yeah. I mean, A.J. Foyd, he's like my dad. He's grumpy and tells me how to drive. It's like, A.J., if you were skinny, you'd be in the car yourself. <laughs> so I, I know. But it's it, you got to be humble, and I think out of all the years I've never burned bridges, there's only a couple people I dislike in this, this whole yeah. – and I, two people out of this whole thing, and I can't mention names, but I, I mean, I come through your shop right now, Junior. A lot of these guys I worked with, oh, yeah. your dad, a lot of guys I worked with at Kevin's, at, at Childress's, at, you name it. I mean, it, it, it's cool. So if you don't burn your bridges, I mean, you're liked. Yeah. And I, I've, I've got released from teams before, and they've called me – you know, six months later and say their driver got hurt when you drive for him. So that's, that's telling me I've done something right in my career of not burning bridges and helping people out and, and stuff like that. So been well, very fortunate. Yeah. You end up um, winning a couple more truck series championships driving for Kevin. Um, but when I was telling a lot of the fans on social media about you coming out here, one of the things they wanted me to ask you about is uh, the 2011 truck series season, which was really a great – story it ended poorly for you but um you won your 50th career win of your 51 truck races and you clawed back from like ninth in points at one point in the season to be 15 points out of the championship battle winning races y'all made some great adjustments mid-season at kevin's uh to make your truck more competitive you're 15 points out going into texas and you and kyle got together kyle's you got loose trying to get around a lap car. Kyle was right on your door. Y'all get together, go up into the wall. Everybody's seen the seen the footage. He goes down in the corner and wreck you. Uh, under caution. Under caution. Everybody's dying f- for me to ask you about that experience. Took you out of the opportunity to win the Truck Series title. Austin Dillon goes on to win the Truck Series that season. But uh, amazing year up to that point. I mean, 
you're how did you handle that being wrecked intentionally under caution how did that how did you're a veteran uh like what 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 are your what are your emotions when you think about that? You trying to calm you me get, down? Are you trying to calm me down while you keep talking? Or you you want me to take take the fifth or go to a commercial break and I walk out? <laughs> <laughs> so you're not over it? No, I, I, no. I mean, I, I'm not over it the way it was handled afterwards. Yeah. You know, NASCAR did what they had to do, and uh, I, I wanted to say my my piece with with Kyle at the time, and NASCAR pushed me away like they always do, and I got in the trailer and I, I started changing my clothes and I listened to his arrogancy on tv about because he's mad at everybody else he wrecked me and, and i got so mad i started running over there and i got all the way to the trailer and i got grabbed and they said well if you, if you do anything about it we can't do nothing about it long story short nascar made him call me and i i like anybody else you're the greatest there ever was you could be the dale earnhardt you could be the richard petty just you gotta just calm down and and, and quit talking about other other drivers just talk about what you've That's done like and, yeah, and that's what I told him. I mean, we talked 15, 20 minutes. And it, I don't know if he grasped it other than, yeah, 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 and I don't know. And like 20 minutes later, I get a phone call from NASA. Well, did Kyle call me? I said, well, yeah, but I mean, what did that do? I mean, it don't do nothing other than, you know, he knew what happened. I just done passing down straight when he got a draft back and he got up on the outside and got me loose. And, and that's the long story, end of the story. And, yeah. and we weren't hurt that bad. Our trucks just I scraped know, yeah. the fence. We could have went on and still finished first and second with two fastest trucks out there. And I think third was gone. And, uh, it kind of ruined. I mean, after that, I mean, my season was done. If it wasn't for for Turner, I mean, my my career was done. If it wasn't for Steve Turner, yeah. So I mean, it was, it was tough. So that still bothers you. I have a lot. Of, well, it bothers me because you, I see him today. He can't look me in the eyes. He he, he won't. And my, I I went over and congratulated him when he beat my record. You know, for the most wins. And this, you know, he was talking to Mr. Hendricks, and I shook his hand and said, "Man, it's, it's a great accomplishment. It, it, it's least races that you run." To, to, to beat me and he, he said well thank you i appreciate that and that's all we've ever talked about we go to the racetrack now he, he can't look at me i mean he's not i don't know how you call it it's it's over with it's done you want to become buds or you want to become enemies we can say enemies and i'll see you at a bar someday and kick your ass <laughs> i don't know <laughs> sounds to me like though you're seeking you were you were trying to seek closure but you weren't able to get it i, I don't know if that i mean the, the kid's great i mean he's, he's Unbelievable. Now he's got a family hoping he calm down a little bit more. But I mean, if you watch him, every time he got out of a car, he badmouthed his crew. He badmouthed the car. It was never his fault. I mean, you got to take common sense. I mean, damn, I screwed up sometime. Yeah. And just don't talk about it. I mean, you're, you're a hero. People are watching you. And I mean, he's doing great things. I'm glad to see him growing up a ton of, of helping a lot of kids, a lot of people with, with, uh, having babies now yep. and stuff like that. I mean, great things he's doing. And I think his, his wife's really pushed him to do that stuff. And, and look what he's doing with his race team like you. You're helping young kids out and, and getting an opportunity to go racing. So yeah. he's got a great heart, but he's got to understand there's kids watching him with the M&M's logo and all that stuff. He's got to watch yeah. what he says off the thing. He can't, second place, there's nothing wrong with second. I mean, you can be <laughs> humble sometimes. <laughs> you yeah. start. You started, I'm sorry. Well, I'm glad. <laughs> I, I, the people the people listening to this show wanted me to ask you about that. Because they still harbor even, resentment. Yeah. I mean, the fact, the fact is is that there are a lot of people that harbor resentment over that situation. I mean, people yeah, remember but, it like it was yesterday. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what. I, I'm, I'm no better than Kyle Busch right now. If you guys remember Rockingham, I'm not in the best equipment there was, and I got roughed up by Bubba Wallace. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I got the old, you know, I went up to him and run the back of his car, you know, yellow flag, and he didn't whole different scenario because we're only going 35, 40. Tires are slick in sure. that. And I 
what the heck? And then he swerved down, and I hit him, and he spun out and hit the fence. So there, no bear, no different. I think right there, and I tell Bubba this to this day, that probably put a, 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 a tattoo on my, my, my career of saying, you've had the best career of your life, and then you just blew it by taking Bubba out of the old flag. Yeah. But it, you apologize to him. I hug him every time I see him. I, I feel like and, the And NASCAR didn't make you do it. Well, I mean, and he There's, comes. That's the difference, right? And he come walking down or come running down after the race, after I got out, because I got to finish the race, because it was a whole different scenario. And the guys, the crews around me, I said, get away. I deserve to get punched in the mouth. Get away. I mean, I wrecked him. I'm the big idiot. So let him punch me. I deserve whatever I get. And he just said some words and all that stuff. And every time I see him, I was like, bud, you don't know how bad it, it kills me that I've done that. Yeah. I mean, I, you don't want to do that. You I, get mad at people. Yeah, yep. he gets mad at me. I've read. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I've read. I've, I've wrecked a few guys, and it's still still in the back of your mind. Yeah. Uh, because you you know you thought at the moment that you needed to do it or wanted to do it or whatever. But um, what you know? What what year did Kevin close the truck team down? I don't remember. Do, is that how that ended? I mean, did you, I'll tell you what? I I don't know who decided to do that. But they've seen where the changes were being made with NASCAR. They've seen he sold the truck series. Sold, sold, sold every team, every hauler, nationwide team, every car, everything, and the building. Who can say right. they can do that? I know. Go out there, win championships, win races, be established owner, and then turn around and sell everything. And, and I don't know if he lost money or whatever, but, but it's done, sold, and there ain't many people out there walking around buying entire race teams. Right. But a lot, a lot he got a lot of people their jobs before i mean he knew it was coming and he yeah. let everybody know that and get an opportunity he just didn't close it down and say hey, you're out of work yeah right he, i mean him and delane have done it right and fred it's i mean i owe a lot to him I, I you know he feels that he owes me i feel that i owe him it just i mean a lot of people don't know kevin saved my life how so when i was racing for him um i was starting to get skinny started i mean i was always racing for your dad i was 200 to 205 mm-hmm. don't mind you know don't do it kids nowadays. We don't work out. We used to, how many beers you can drink is how many, how many laughs you're going to go to sweat it out, basically. Yeah. Um, not, not kind of exaggeration. But, yeah, right. But I got down to 134 pounds racing for Kevin. What? Wow. And I started getting the shakes. So, I mean, I drink my three, four beers a night. And I thought, okay, I quit drinking. Every morning I was taking a milkshake. I went to the doctors. They did the whole prod up every, every orifice you ever had. <laughs> and, uh, Meantime, I, I got my appendix out racing for Kevin, and this happened probably maybe a year and a half later. That you know, I'm starting losing weight, and and then I started getting shakes. And, and Kevin thought California throttle sticking, and I was driving the last five laps with the on and off switch. And he called me in the office and said, "What happened?" I told him. And long story short, Rick Crowley calls me up and says, "Kevin wants to talk to you Monday morning, eight o'clock." Well, great. Here we go. Get up there, and Kevin's not there. Rick Shirley's getting the truck. I said, what for? He said, I'm taking it to the doctors. I said, well, what for? I just got back. I mean, I've been, I mean, they've done run every test. I've been every CAT scan. I've been everything. They, they can't find nothing. And uh, he said, I, I said, I can't afford it. I said, I'm not going to pay for the, don't worry about it. We got to handle it to his doctor. I didn't walk, no more walk in the door. His doctor comes around the corner and shook his hand. He said, take your hat off. Looked at my eyes, grabbed my hair and says, you got Graves disease. I said, what? I said, what's Graves' disease? He says, your thyroid. You've got a hyper, uh, a hyper thyroid that's eating your body inside. So I call my wife up, and she talks to the doctor and says, well, can I wait until after the season? She says, your, your husband will be dead by then. Jesus. He's, out, he's already lost. You know, I'm down to 134 pounds from 205. And uh, 
So basically, that's how Kevin saved me. So they ended up nuking it out, and now I'm on a thyroid pill the rest of the rest of my life. And the one for Kevin taking initiative to make me go to the doctor, his doctor, to do that. So I called my doctor up and said, how come you couldn't find it? He said, you were 50 years old. I was looking for cancer. So you just overlooked it. Wow. So, I mean, that, that's so. Wow. That's, that's why I feel I owe Kevin more than he owes me. There, <laughs> yeah, know? for sure. That's fair. Because you go to your doctor and you believe in your doctor. You got everything checked. Yeah. Mm. I don't think Kevin owes you anything. I mean, you won a couple championships. He, he gave you an awesome opportunity to drive some really fast race trucks. Oh, unbelievable. So good. Those trucks were so good. Um, I understand your feeling about owing him, especially after hearing that story. What was the um, – what was what was so i just recently retired and i liked i always wondered still even wonder even after retiring how drivers make that decision for themselves a lot of guys have different stories different reasons um what was the deciding factor for you in retirement um i better think about it and say this right no yeah well i mean that that kind of Ruined my deal with Kyle's deal. I mean, that's another championship, and then that's when Kevin was selling everything, and Bob Newberry ended up buying some of Kevin's. Well, no, Joe Danette yeah. bought some of his trucks and everything, and then Bob Newberry came in and bought Joe Danette's stuff. By that time, we had different body hangers and everything, and I was out there riding around, and I was getting tired of just riding around and riding around. And, and Bob's son was racing, and I guess I didn't give him enough room on the racetrack, so he fired me with a race to go. And I got going down to Homestead, and it's like, Wow, that's cool. I mean, I got fired from Earnhardt. I got fired from Childress. I said, I, if, if that's what you want, I'm, I'm glad with it. I'm just here to help your team out and try to help your son you know, get up to speed, and that's cool. Long story short, what I was telling you about earlier, treating people that way, he ended up calling me back to drive his truck later on down the road. But um, Mr. Turner, seeing that was happening, and he said, we got to get you in a truck. So he put me in a truck for Homestead, and we ran, I think we ran second or third. I don't know where we ended up. We ran a Pretty damn good. We, we had a chance to win it. And uh following year, we started running, started running, and that's when he was in partners. And they got into a lawsuit with each other. Yeah. And they thought, you know, Reem was paying for that truck out of their own pocket, not going through the books and the whole deal. And it was Steve's truck. And I think we were second points, five out of the championship, and going to Canada. And they pulled the plug and sent the truck back. Mm. And that's when Mr. Turner walked away, and that's how my career ended. So I wasn't ready for my career to end. A lot of people want to – and, and the bad part about it now in racing, and I hate to bring it up, but, hey, will you drive Martinville for me? I said, I'd love to. He said, I got this truck, I got this motor, I got this. How I, much money can you I bring? I need 25 grand, yeah. Yeah, it's I like mean, ridiculous. can you bring a sponsor? It's yeah. like, well, I guess, you know, how much money are you going to pay me? You know, it's not about talent. It is about talent because there's, there's a lot of great talent yeah. out there. But, I mean, it's a stepping stone. And I, I, I think I heard the best way at Darlington – my son's a go-kart racer. How, to, how do we get him to go to the next level? And I think Bobby, who, who, who I, I got to remember who said this. It's not about how you talk to the sponsors and stuff like that. He went on to saying, make him learn everything about his race car. Make him learn exactly what you did and you had to work on your own stuff. To learn about that so he can take knowledge of driving. He could be the best. He can have the most, he can have the most money and not drive. And, and drive, but if you don't know nothing about a race car, he don't know what end to, what, if we're going to mm-hmm. raise a track bar, well, that's, yeah, it's going to make it looser, but that's making it in front end stick, yeah. stuff like that. If you can get your kid to learn more about his car, let him know what a half-inch wrench is, let him know what a 760, and the way he explained it was unbelievable, and that's probably the only way I can do it, too. I mean, money will buy you, right, but it ain't going to buy you talent, it ain't going to buy you to learn about these things. Yeah. So what are you doing today? 
You building cars, dirt cars. How did you get into building dirt cars? I'm bitter about it. I built a lot of cars, <laughs> and they all complained thinking my cars cheated up. Oh. So you take your shocks <laughs> off, you take your, you know. Yeah, but I mean, of all the, you didn't grow up around dirt. You didn't grow uh, up around dirt modified. I did, if you listened. Seven, I had well, Valley go, Fairgrounds go and dirt and street stocks and stuff. <laughs> but, so how did you get into those type of cars, that specific type of car? Oh, well, my grandson got one, and he ended up wrecking it, and I fixed it, you know, and it just, they got into that. That's all it took. That's all it took. I mean, you got an 11-year-old kid that's running good, and, you know, 12 years old winning races, and, you know, it, it, it's unbelievable. Yeah. Is this Ronnie's son? No, it's Candace's son. Okay. Yep. Okay. okay. Yep. And so you're building dirt cars? I'm only going to do a handful here yeah. and there, help some people out. Somebody want, it, it's, it's so hard because I try to tilt, keep the cars under 20 grand. Bring me a motor trans. I turn key them, go to the racetrack with their whole deal. And they'll still complain. It's like, don't complain. Just bring it over. Let's, if you've got a better idea, let's cut it apart and do that. And, uh, you know, I'm 61 years old. I want to do it and have fun. Right. Let's go out. You know, don't even drink beer at the track. Let's just go out and have a blast. It's dirt racing. Yeah. And, and you're playing in the mud. I mean, when you're kids, <laughs> it's, and it's just everybody whines. And now they can claim this, claim that. You know, and, and the series wanted to tear our, We win the race just Friday night, and they want to tear my motor down. I said, well, it's an IMCA sealed motor. I don't own it. Speedway Motors owns it. And they said, well, we got to tear it down. I said, I want $1,200. It's going to cost me 1500 to put it back together. If somebody claims, you know, saying protest me, I'd be more than glad to. At least I get the money out of right, it. Right, right. And I said, so the way IMCA does it, if, if you're legal, they pay for it to put it back together. And this this series wouldn't do it. I said, just don't give me the money. I'm Keep the money. Yeah, keep yeah. the money. I'm not going to tear my motor down for to, to prove to a point. To lose $300, that I, yeah. Yeah, to prove a point to you. So I think they understood it. And the talk and I, you know, with Speedway doing the motors and IMCA and all the whole deal. I think that's the way to go because they can't afford if they got a speed, uh, IMCA tag on it. IMCA is one of the biggest dirt all over the world that they can't afford to lose their their, their customers and their name and everything else with them doing it for sure. the last thirty years with with IMCA. So you're spending your time going to the dirt tracks these days? No, not no. all the time. What are you doing? Well, Lindy's dad passed. You heard that, and, and it's so cool. It's his uh, still got his toolbox. Always been on our shop. Back in the day, working on Ronnie's car with you. He's still got the picture of you signing to him and your little mom and pops. <laughs> Number three, white, yeah. down at Myrtle Beach, because he used to go down there with you. Yeah. And uh, he's still got it on his toolbox. And I was going to take a picture and send it to you, to the two pop and Graham. That's junior. neat. Wow, that's neat. He's touched a lot of people's heart. He was a punk little kid back there, but he raced, and he, they wanted to hurt down there. He had the roughest time. So Lindy takes her mom to the racetrack to go watch Junior race at Myrtle Beach, and she goes, and he goes, Mom, whatever you do, don't root for Dale Jr. Clap your hands. They hate him down here at Myrtle Beach the first what? couple of times. <laughs> Is that right? Well, they always thought Daddy gave him everything sure. he wanted. And he, I mean, the first couple of years, he drove pretty tough, and he wrecked a lot of guys to yeah. get him out of their way. <laughs> Am <laughs> nah. I lying? Nah. Am I lying? No. You got booed quite a bit yeah. Oh, the yeah. first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. whatever you do, you're going to get a beer can thrown in if you clap for Dale Jr. So I don't know the whole stories because Lindy always went there. I always went with your sister. Where did we race up here? Tri-County. Tri-County. We went yeah. up there quite a bit. And he would, yeah. He'd race on Friday night, and then he'd go down there. So that's about all I'm doing. Um, going out to Wickenburg, seeing Teresa. She's got some beautiful horses. Oh, yeah. they're, they're like a – you got to see them. They're, they look like a gray, but when they hit the sun, it's like a blue-gray. Yeah. And I've never I've, – I've been there for three hours. Showing, she's showing me a ranch, not one fly. Whatever she does, keep the flies down. <laughs> she's got t- 25 horses. Yeah. You go to a horse farm, no and the cows, your cow, you just got yeah. flies. What, not one fly. I've never seen one fly. Crazy. 
<laughs> so we just go in there. We go there, you know, Arizona every other month. Arizona? Yeah. What's out there? That's just, Lindy's dad's house. Yeah. Yeah. He, before he passed, we got the house done. He got to enjoy it, built it like so his ranch. Right out there? Yeah. So what we're going to do, when think about it, you can pick up chicks there. They're all over their age and they're walkers. They don't run very fast. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> That's awesome. Oh, we kidding. Only well, man. Kidding. All right. Well, we're going to have you back. We got a lot more stories to Ooh. tell. We didn't get into the uh, too deep into the DI stuff. So we'd love to have you come back and talk about those years and tell us some stories, more stories about dad. Uh, but appreciate you coming well, well, out here today. Well, thank I mean, everything, just looking at you and, and I wanted to tell my whole story, how it all started, but we've been jumping back and forth yeah. because just the memories coming back and how much fun we've had and watching you grow up with Ronnie and what you guys have done. It's, it's, it's amazing. And yeah. Look what you and Kelly's got here. It's it's amazing. I don't know how it happened. Just kind of ride. I'm just kind of riding along with it. The bad part of it now is you're busier now than when you were racing. I know. I need to fix that. <laughs> uh, trust me, he recognizes but, uh, that. <laughs> so Lindy and I have been married 40 years. You know, yeah. I've been married every 40 years. She goes to work and I go to work. We see each other when we get home. Yeah. Give your wife a kiss every morning before you go because you never know when it's going to end. You know that. I do that, buddy. All right. Well, well, I love you guys. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, it's of so course. cool. Love you too, man. Thank you. Thank you. In partnership with Mountain Dew, I've been giving some of my employees DTO. That's due time off. On top of that, I've been giving them $1,000. They get to pursue their passions. This is the latest episode of this series, and it's one that is very special to me. It's about a guy who works hard and deserves DTO. But man, the story goes so much deeper than that. This is a story about friendship. It's a story about service and sacrifice. It's a story about perseverance and loyalty. Most importantly, it's about a bond that will last forever. Hey, my name is Lee Langley. I've worked at Junior Motorsports for five years, and I'm the parts manager. Uh, I met a lot of people that work at Junior Motorsports through sim racing, and Lee was in that group. We had a lot of them. I invited about... 20 of those sim racers, maybe 25 of them, with their parents, some of them were very young, over to my property and we had a big party or a big get-together for a long weekend. It was like Friday through Sunday and we hung out at my Whiskey River playing horseshoes and hanging out and playing music and talking sim racing. Lee was there. You know, our relationship grew out of just a mutual interest that we had. While we were there at that get-together that weekend some 20 years ago, Lee told us he was going to join the military. And then when he found out I was going into the military, I guess, because he went to military school, he kind of felt connected with me there because he went to military school when he was young. So he joins the military, and we remained friends. And he went overseas on several tours in uh, Iraq and eventually Afghanistan. And I would send him boxes of sunglasses I'd buy new iPods and just fill them up with all kinds of music and for him to give out to his buddies. And then we just we just stayed in touch after that. And, you know, it's been a, he's been a special friend to me and my family. And, and I kept telling him, I, you know, because the, the military was getting him in amazing shape. When I first met him, we were all skinny and, you know, none of us have any muscle on our arms. But the military had turned him into a machine. And I said, you know what, man, when you get out of the military... I'm going to put you in a program to train you to be a tire carrier or maybe even a guy that changes tires. Who knows? But some way, somehow, you're 
I'm going to try my hardest to get you an opportunity to become a guy that works on the crew. He's think, you know, he's he's over there fighting a war. I'm, you know, but I'm thinking, man, when you get home, we're going to figure out something. And so, and he ended up going to Iraq and a roadside bomb blew up the, the, the truck he was in. It was a bad deal. And so I got a call or a text from a buddy that was, we're all in this sort of sim racing circle and said, Lee's been hurt and he's been flown somewhere to Germany, some hospital. And they didn't really have any kind of idea of just how bad it was. But I started making a bunch of phone calls and I ended up getting information from where he was in Germany about his injuries and then they, the plans that they had for him flying home and when that would happen. And But uh, I wanted to see Lee. I said, you know, I was, I had some connections to Walter Reed and they were going, you know, I was going to be able to know exactly when he got there and all those things. And so me, I called my boss, Rick Hendrick. And I said, Rick, I got a buddy of mine. He's been hurt. I said, I want to go to Walter Reed. Uh, didn't know if you want to go with me. I don't know why I bothered Rick with that. I just, for some reason, didn't want to go by myself. I was really kind of scared actually to go alone. And so Lee's banged up real bad, but he's all right. You know, he can, I can, he can see me and, and we can talk. You know, I don't know. I just was so glad that he was okay. I was so glad that he was home. He was back in the United States. And he had this really, really, really long journey. You know, I just wanted him to, you know, be okay and not, you know, not, uh, you know, not only the physical side of it, but the mental side of it. You know those injuries that he had were terrible he had lost a lot of bone in his leg they let his he- leg heal to a, an extent and then they would re-break it and reset it a quarter inch or so apart for it to grow that quarter inch and create that quarter inch and they'd break it again and and, re- and reset it a quarter inch apart and they kept breaking his leg over and over every few months to sort of lengthen and let this leg develop this bone length seven days prior to that I was, you know, I was a healthy person. I was in the best shape of my life. You know, I, I had no worries in the world. And then seven days later, I can't even do anything for my family. So at that point, I couldn't help my family at all. I had to rely on other people, and it was tough. We went back up there a couple more times. It was a tough time, but it was also very comforting to know that if your mom needed to go here, your dad or your brother, they could help. And that was that was really special. To, to know I had a long road ahead of me, but that was just one thing off my plate that I didn't have to worry about. You know, and that was really important for me getting better because that was my next mission was to get better. And they, they preach that to you up there. Is, you know, your previous mission is over. You can't do what you were doing. You have to focus on your health and get better. and. And with your family taken care of, that's really a big burden off of you. I still think about that to this day. You know, that was that was a big impact on my life. My man went through some tough stuff. I it's been a long friendship and relationship, and I'm just glad he's good and glad he's healthy. Oh.
So I, I could, you know, the, with his injuries, the opportunity to be a, a pit crew guy was was gone. I said, you know, I got a, uh, I got might have a chance to be able to plug you into the parts room, and we had no opportunity to have another guy in the parts room. And so Lee became the parts guy, and he's awesome. I still think about that to this day. You know, that was that was a big impact on my life. You know, I owe him so much, and I owe. Uh, you know, Kelly and them, they were, they've been also great to me. And that's kind of the whole backstory a lot of people don't know about me being here is that, you know, I owe this family a lot and I care about them. And that's, that's part of the story that a lot of people don't know. Lee Langley, please report to the studio. Lee Langley, please report to the studio. Hey, Lee. Come have a seat, man. Put on some headphones real quick. Got to ask you some questions. Do you know why you're here? No. How long have you worked at Junior Motorsports League? Five years. Really? Yeah. God, it seems like it's longer. How did we meet? Uh, Online racing about 2003, 2004, something when like was, What year was it that we had our get-together? 2006. And so we were friends, hanging out, talking pretty much every night on on the computer and you told us that day that you were going to join the military mm-hmm. so you go into the military and we stayed in touch right mm-hmm. and then you got deployed yeah in uh in, in iraq you did two tours there no i did i did one in iraq and then uh one in afghanistan yeah what would you how would you describe your employment at junior motorsports and and and, and you can tell us what your job is what your responsibilities are yeah, well, my responsibility is I'm the parts manager, so basically anything anybody needs every week to get to the track, that's basically what I do. If you need a part, you need whatever, I do it. I get it here. The reason why you're in this room is because Mountain Dew, longtime partner of mine, mm-hmm. has a program called DTO. It's due time off. I get to choose a couple individuals within our company that I think are deserving of an opportunity to have a day off. Really? Not to worry about anything. Just one day. It's a, it's a day to do whatever you want. With that comes $1,000 nice. in this envelope. I'll slide <laughs> that over to you. My wife will probably get this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think? What are some of your passions? And in, 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 I know you got two boys. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so you spend a lot of time with them, I yeah, know. Yeah, four-year-old and the six-year-old, they're wide open all the time. It's, uh, it's not about you anymore. It's about the family. So. But it's a pleasure to work here. You know, this is a great family environment is it is a family yeah. and uh it's a, it's i love it you know well i'm glad you feel that way well man have fun take that day and enjoy it and thanks for coming in yeah. here and giving us a little bit of time talking to us yeah thanks to mountain dew it's a great program yeah thank you <laughs> it's been an honor and a, something i'm very uh proud of and mm-hmm. our friendship and i'm also proud of you I was pretty nervous when he slid the money across. Uh, the whole deal was nervous. I was nervous. It was a real surprise. There's a lot of people in there, you know. All the bright lights. Not used to that, so it was, uh, I was a little shaken, to be honest. I tell you, there's there's some great people in this world, and, and Dale's one of them. 
that's a difficult time, and that's when you know who's really there for you. Thank you, Lee. Thank you, Mountain Dew. Our partners with Mountain Dew have enabled us to give out this due time off to let people pursue their passions. We are thankful for that. It has also been a great opportunity to tell some amazing stories about these people. Remember to live your passions and do the do. This ain't your average race recap. Unfiltered commentary and an abundance of opinion. Mr. Nice Guy or Mr. Got in my way. I'm like Johnny Cash, we ain't afraid to walk the line. Listen to Door Bumper Clear, available on major podcast platforms. Door Bumper Clear. All right, everybody, thank you for tuning in. We are live on YouTube. Thank you for following Dirty Mode Media on YouTube. Make sure you follow all the social media handles Twitter, Instagram. Uh, Leah's not in today. Matthew's going to handle. Uh, her responsibilities and uh, throw the questions at us. So let's see what you got, Matthew. All right, buddy. Uh, first person chiming in here wants to know, uh, Chris Belcher, uh, did you get a chance to congratulate Martin Truex Jr. in Winter Circle, or did you have to wait to get in touch with him or text him on the way home? Yeah, I haven't talked to him. Um, you know, I had to catch a ride with Keselowski home, and his pilot is a spotter. Well, Joey. Everybody knows Joey Meyer. And uh, so Joey's on the top of the spotter stand, which is right above me in the booth. As soon as I was done, Joey was waiting out the door. We got, uh, we walked down through the grandstands, through this tunnel underneath the front stretch into the uh, neon garage, uh, right near Victor Lane. So I guess I could have went over there, but I was tr- I was telling Joey, uh, and Joey was headed to the car. We jumped in the car, we drove to the airport, fired up the plane, and Brad hopped on, and we left. But um. Usually when Truex wins, I wait a few days, uh, and uh, I imagine I didn't know if he was even home yet. So he's probably not awake if he is. I'll uh, I'll talk to him soon enough. We got some people chiming in saying, we love you in Texas, which uh, reminds me on Twitter uh, when we put out this tweet about doing this. Somebody chimed in right away and said, what's your favorite thing about Luckenbach, Texas? <laughs> Willie, Willie and the boys. <laughs> yeah, that's I mean, odd. that's the right answer, that's right? a real strange one. Um <laughs> You know, Lickenbach, Texas. Have you ever been there, Mike? Nope. So I'm going to do this. I'm going to do a terrible job here to anyone who's been to Lickenbach, especially people that are in and around that area, very fond of that. So I don't want to. I don't want to do it uh, a disservice, but um, it's awesome. And you know, they sing about it in the country songs, and you go there, and there, it's it's this small sort of country storish uh beer joint and it's got a little amphitheater outside for some small intimate concerts but every time you go inside the the building which is uh it is half country store gift shop uh bar they have people in there playing all it seems like every time i've been in there in, in your mind you just imagine like if if i go in here there's going to be some people sitting down picking on a guitar or playing songs and they are and uh, and they're not uh, recognizable names, but they're very good. And they all, I think, play there because of the lore and the history of that town or that building and that location and how people have been either discovered there or honed their craft there as, 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 as players and singers and so forth. Uh, but they've, they've got another sort of uncovered building that's kind of like a dance hall. 
Uh, dance halls are real popular down in, in Texas, and they're a lot of fun. Uh, if you ever get a chance to go out to a dance hall in Texas, please. It is a great time, and uh, which I'd never been to one till me and Amy got together. But uh, Lukenbach, man, it's it's a uh, it's worth a stop on the tour if you're in and around the area. Uh, go in there and have a cold beer and listen to some music, and it's chill. You just chill, you just hang out. Um, Stratus DSYR wants to know uh, what's your favorite Nirvana song. That's a. Uh, I mean, Teen Spirit was the one that. I heard first, and I remember exactly where I was at when I heard that song for the first time. It is hard to pick a favorite. It really is hard to pick a favorite. I um, Mike, you don't have a favorite, do you? I mean, it's teen. It's uh, yeah, the Teen Spirit song. I mean, like it really. That, you know, that plateau I hate, song. You know, I've I almost liked hate it. to pick Teen Spirit because I know. it's popular. It, well, it got to where they almost. Uh, it, I read that like they weren't even that great crazy about playing it anymore. Really, on tour because they had it, they'd been asked. It was like the only you know. I'm sure. Yeah, it gotten, but it's such a good song. Yeah, it gotten old. Territorial pissings. One really, one song that uh, that I liked. I think it was on the Beavis and Butthead soundtrack. Was I hate myself and I want to die? I think that's yeah. The name of it. Um, it was a good soundtrack. Yeah, that was a good soundtrack. And I want to go ahead and pop up the uh, go ahead and throw another question at me. I'm gonna see if I can find another song. All right, uh, Becky Etheridge here on the YouTube live chat. Good morning. Any chance you guys could ever ask Michael Rooker to be a guest? Rowdy Burns uh, would be a great guest. Yeah. I mean, that would kind of be cool to have Rowdy Burns here, get his perspective on. Yeah, I figured that was why you asked this question, because you have an agenda. Um, <laughs> Never. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure he could tell us some pretty cool stories about Days of Thunder in the movie and, and, and the experience of making that. So that's not a bad idea and one that hadn't crossed my mind. So I appreciate that question. These are interesting questions, man. I wonder if these are in there all the time and Leah just doesn't pull them out. Because she gets me like, um, you know, close. Best she may bar- be better on choosing best than barbecue me. dive in, in Charlotte. Man, some uh, people chiming in right now. Somebody just said, will John C. Riley ever be a guest on DJD? That's a pretty Jeez, good one. <laughs> Why don't we just get the whole cast in here? <laughs> Beavis and Butthead? No, that's impossible. Uh, we're John not C. Riley, I'm a huge fan of Heck his. yeah. Dr. Steve Brule, everybody. I think that's why that, that brought up. <laughs> uh, Leland Reynolds, uh, they know you're a fan of Korn. Yep. Um, are you, have you listened to the new album? album yeah, and are you a fan of it yet? I haven't listened to the new album, so I will. Bob Jenkins is a suggestion. Wow, these are some good suggestions coming in. We need to go to this more often, man, for that. Yeah. You, you you like these. I mean, it's helping me out. <laughs> you so. like these. Like You might be the only one in the room that likes a few of these. <laughs> Thanks a lot. Uh, Kyle chiming in saying, uh, kept hearing a lot during that first stage from you guys on NBC about the cars, Yeah. Um, especially Stuart Haas cars being trimmed out. I saw this tweet. Yeah. What, what, what does it mean? When uh, teams trim out a car, basically it just means that they strip they strip away a little bit of the downforce and drag, trying to go for straight line speed. They're hoping that the track's going to have a lot of grip and it's not going to be slick, so they won't depend as much on the downforce to to give the car a good handle in the corner. And they're hoping that they can they're going to, to take a gamble that uh, they can keep that car out front. Obviously, if you're out front. You uh, you have the most downforce, the most you have the best air. Um, you don't your air is not dirty. Obviously, you know when you lap cars, it will get dirty. But what they're going to do is gamble that they can keep the car at the front of the pack, 
keep it in clean air. They won't need quite as much downforce and drag as these guys that are mired back in 10th or 15th place trying to claw their way through the field. And uh, sometimes that gamble works. I mean, I can't, I don't know the setup on the four car from Indy, but he qualified on the pole and he won the race. So I would assume that maybe he he had less downforce, less drag than, than most guys uh, with his qualifying effort. And then he was able to deliver in the race with a great, handling cars so there was a perfect sort of balance between straight line speed and handle and there's a lot of flexibility i think within the rules today and how they trim the car out they can drop the back of the car down to get the spoiler out of the air the only certain the only um the downside to that is if you get in traffic when if you have a car that is low on downforce and drag and you get in traffic that then you're really in trouble you really got your arm one arm tied behind your back in that dirty air and you'll have a harder time i think trying to get back around cars or past cars than other people um you saw the 22 uh this weekend drive from the back of the pack to the front well i would assume with his qualifying effort he has the same ford mustang that the stewart haas cars had he has the same engine that the stewart haas cars had but he qualified 22nd uh, and then he drove through the field really quickly. I would assume he had a good amount of downforce on that race car to be able to do that. They went in that direction thinking that would be best, and it was playing out pretty well for him. But so I, when you see somebody qualify good, it doesn't always mean they're low downforce, but it typically does. When you see somebody that you think should qualify well qualify in the 20th place or 22nd, you you would hope or assume that They've got a lot of downforce on that car, and they're sacrificing that good qualifying run for hopefully a better handling car once they are in the race. Does that make sense to you, Mike? Yeah, I mean, it's All right. as best as it can. <laughs> <laughs> if Mike uh, if Mike says yes, then we have succeeded. You've done it. That's right. That's right. I, got a, I got a Nirvana song. Oh! All right. My favorite Nirvana song, I didn't think about this, but it's School, and it's the live version of that song from the Muddy Banks of, I don't know the rest of the title. Somebody's going to tell you on YouTube. Yeah, somebody probably tell us. One one last question here. Uh, uh, you cook with butts. They they must or you cook with butter. Oh, what interesting spe- uh, spelling. They like butter. Have you ever? <laughs> do you have anything new in the room? Haven't seen the camera pan around yet. Have we uh, have any new additions to the studio? Yeah, right behind me is a. It's a pillow and it's a car pillow. I don't know. It's this Winston car pillow right here, Mike. Um, you want to get it? Can yeah, can you see it? it in the shot? Yeah, he's, uh, he's he looking at it right okay, now, okay. yeah. He's got in the shot, Mike. You don't have to get it. Yeah, they made these back in the 70s, and they had Kel Yarbrough, um, David Pearson, Richard Petty, Bobby Allison, I think were the four different drivers that had those made, as well as the Winston show car pillow. And they're fun to collect. I've been on eBay, and I bought buying buying all those on ebay and collecting them to to uh one day there was a richard petty one that was in really really freaking good shape and i lost it to matt yokum on ebay Mm. he outbid me (laughs) i was winning the bid and i drove into a parking deck and lost service and he won (laughs) he won the damn thing i was so mad because matt yokum seemed me and him sort of seemed to be looking at the same things on ebay as far as vintage nascar and you bought me that, and you showed up one day and gave it to me as a gift, the Richard Petty one. Yeah. I always appreciate that. Oh, yeah. All right, that's it for Ask Junior, presented by Nationwide.
It's a great time of the year, Mike. I love the Redskins, and despite them being 0-2, I'm still extremely happy that the NFL season is back. Our friends at Cadence 13 have a great podcast out now called GM Shuffle. Mm-hmm. If you're a football fan, you got to check it out. Here's more from the host. Hi, I'm Michael Lombardi. I'm Adnan Burke. AV and Mike, we have a blast here on the GM Shuffle. Certainly when it comes to football, we're passionate. But what's the key here with GM Shuffle is we're not only taking inside the game. And of course, Mike, you've been in the trenches. You've won Super Bowls. You've written a best-selling book with Iron Genius. But we're having fun as well. And you're going to tell it like it is. We owe it to the fans. We owe it to you, to be honest. I mean, if you want just a normal, hey, everything's great, you know, Lions are going to be spectacular, then this is not the podcast to listen to. But if you want to talk about football and you want to learn about the game, what goes on inside the game, I've often said football is the most popular sport, but it's the one that fans know the least about. And I think that's our job here at the GM Shuffle. ADNI is to educate you and give you a perspective that's a little bit different than perhaps you're hearing. We also talk the three S's here on GM Shuffle. That would be Sopranos, Springsteen, and Salinger. So come get some. New episodes every Monday and Thursday. Subscribe for free on Radio.com, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your shows. Keep coming, bud. White flag, bud. White flag right there. White flag. Uh, white flag. First, I want to start out the white flag just saying thoughts and prayers to Leah. Leah's not in the studio today. Uh, she had some family that, uh, you know, suffered some loss over the weekend. And uh, so we're thinking about her and also the family of Mike Stefanik, guys. I mean, um, you know, tragic news that came across during the race Sunday night uh, that Mike Stefanik lost his life. Uh, certainly a major, major racer uh, up north and was on the ballot uh, for the NASCAR Hall of Fame. We'll get there. He'll get there. It's just so unfortunate that he's not going to be able to give his speech. Uh, so, listen, our thoughts and prayers are with those guys. Um, moving on. Listen, this week, the season uh, – hold on. Let me start that over. Uh, this week, Dale Jr., the, the episode of Straight Up Steve Austin is going to air Tuesday wow. at 10 p.m., Nine, uh, 10 p.m. Eastern, 9 p.m. Central, right after WWE SmackDown. Wow. The straight-up Steve Austin episode with Dale Jr. I cannot wait to watch that. That's yeah, going to be fun. seeing the promos and stuff for that. Steve's starting to put stuff out, so I'm pretty excited about that. Thankful for being on his show. He was an amazing guy. Nice yeah. enough to come on the podcast and do that as well. Yeah. One of our favorite podcasts. That was really cool. Uh, speaking of TV, uh, I looked at producer Brian. It looks like that we will be back on for that three-episode airing on Tuesday. Uh, that's going to be at 5 p.m. This is the Dale Jr. Download TV show I'm speaking of, actually. It's uh, on NBC Sports Network, 5 p.m., 9 p.m., and again, midnight. So something must have worked last week when we did that. We're going to do it again. Uh, so 5 p.m., 9 p.m., and midnight Eastern time on Tuesday. That's the Dale Jr. Download TV show. Uh, Apple Podcast rating and reviews, guys. Kyle Jose May wrote, Dale Jr., Mike, and David Dillner do a great job of, <laughs> of milking interesting stories out of every guest. I listen to this podcast every week during my three-hour drive to and from my girlfriend's house. Holy crap. Wow. That's commitment. I mean, dang, Man's man. love. <laughs> That's love right there. That's love. That's I'm glad y'all noticed. I, I I appreciate the comments, but man, three hour drive back and forth. Hope she's Tuesday. worth it. I guess she is. <laughs> Good for him. Good for Kyle. Uh, Stephen Fresno says, "Here's how great this podcast is. It starts with Dell Jr. talking about going to a party and peeing in a closet, and it ends with the talk of Baby Shark and Elmo. The best part is Dell Jr. talks about both with equal enthusiasm." <laughs> <laughs> And I agree. Thank you, Steve and Fresno. And uh, listen, we've got websites. I say it every week. Uh, you can buy your uh, Socket to Childhood Cancer socks on Socket2CC.com. That's still going on. 
And that's it, guys. Let's hear some odd history. All right, guys, odd history. Thank you to NASCAR Man on Twitter for giving us this information, supporting this podcast. Go support him on Twitter. Follow NASCAR Man. You're going to get a lot of awesome stories. I promise you won't be disappointed. So here's our uh, odd history today. One of the first superstars of NASCAR from Virginia. Obviously, we've heard the name Curtis Turner. Oh, yeah. He won the 1956 Southern 500, and he was known for his devil-may-care driving style and wild parties away from the track. I didn't know he had wild parties. I didn't know he caught devil-may-care. Ralph Moody, driver and co-owner of the Holman Moody team, once said that after a race, he wanted to be sure to collect the purse and give Turner his share because if he got the money, he would spend it all partying. Mm. (laughs) And you'd go party with him. (laughs) In October 1965, Turner almost missed a race at Rockingham when a party got out of hand, so much so that he had to call Moody to get some help. Turner said he needed to get picked up on a side street near his party pad. (laughs) Moody said that he asked, does your airplane not run? And Turner's response was, I can't get to it. Well, there was a reason for that. Turner was partying with a woman that happened to be married. (laughs) The woman's husband found out showed up to Turner's place with a rifle. He fired shots at Curtis when Curtis tried to leave the house. Damn! Turner was stuck in the house and asked Moody to meet him down a side street. Curtis made a run for it, and the two flew to Rockingham together. Hours after avoiding the gunshots of an angry husband, Turner won the race in the 17th and final win of his cup career. He'd been up all night partying. I mean, God. Before that. Good Lord, I'd never heard that story. Man. So. Shots fired. <laughs> hey, man, come pick me up on the side street. Your plane don't run? That's like, the, right. that's the obvious question <laughs> that you ask. <laughs> okay. Guys, I appreciate everybody for tuning in. It's a great show. Sorry for being a little tired and, and rambling like a madman in some parts of the show. But I hope you enjoyed it. Ron Hornaday, thank you for coming out, and uh, we'll see you next week. This bit of badassery was made by Dirty Mo Media. Dirty Mo.